the Koi Gig part on Off The Ball. I don't like it. I want to be up there in Group A. I don't care who we get. We should be up there competing against them. But, you know, as you said, we're going to win that group and then get promoted, hopefully. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Very good morning to you. Welcome along to Thursday morning's OTVAM. We're here with you as per usual until 10 o'clock this morning. It's a, a very busy and stacked studio, I have to say, this morning. Delighted to welcome back, as always, Johnny Ward. Johnny, good morning. I mean, delighted to welcome back, as always. I'm, I'm peripheral kind peripheral, of character perennial, on the show. Like, yeah, yeah, peripheral, perennial. Part of the woodwork. <laughs> you were, <laughs> you've, got a bed, you've got a bed underneath the, the desk there. You hit, um, I won't hear of it. Tonight you'll sleep on the floor of your office. <laughs> um, you were up early, Shane. I was up very early, yeah. Yeah, 4.45 start. 4.45 start. Uh, the guys here work hard too. Colin Buhig and Kathleen McNamee, good morning. Hi, Saint. Morning. Johnny, Johnny, don't ever doubt your uh, involvement in the show. If we won that is the, short, if no, we no. won if we won the league, you'd have enough games to get a medal. Yeah. For was sure. it was it Jeff yeah. Kenna? The media league. Oh yeah. Did the Jeff Kenna have looks. nine games for Blackburn when they won the league? Oh I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, you know yeah. they subsequently changed that rule. They're kinder about it. Are they? Yeah, because players used to miss out very unfortunately. Quentin Fortune. Quite an unfortune. Oh, oh I see. What because he missed out. Uh, misfortune. Oh, yeah, he missed out. He missed out. Yeah. not. Do you know? I'm um, just thinking of Monaghan like, early rising. Patrick Kavanagh when he first came to Dublin, he walked. He walked to Dublin. He just walked like he was like I'm, I'm going from Inneskeen in Monaghan um, to Dublin, but like it's quite yeah, a walk. It's quite a walk. Like so, you you had it. You had it easy. At least I was in a vehicle. Yeah. Do you know that's not vehicle. so bad. Making making me feel bad now. Maybe yeah. I should have walked. Our um, next door neighbour during the old days of Connacht finals over in Roscommon used to get up in the morning, walk from Screen, which is like practically in Ballina, all the way to Roscommon and wow. be there in time for nine o'clock mass before wow. the match. How long a walk is that? I mean, it's like an hour and a half yeah. drive-ish. Did the mass really help? <laughs> no. Eh, questionable. <laughs> I, did the Cam- I did the Camino before. Probably just needed a little. How long does that, that take? Camino de Santiago. We only did. We did four days. We did the last. You get the certificate if you do the last hundred k. It's a seven hundred and eighty kilometer walk. The Camino France from uh, Saint Jean Pierre du Port to Santiago de Compostela. You'd be raging if you did the full seven hundred k and people mm. got a certificate for doing a hundred. You have long walks. Oh, segue. <laughs> the opposition goalkeeper last night, Shane Hannan, in your game, had a long walk to the shower afterwards because it's three all. It's the cup semi final, Johnny. What are we talking about here? This guy, this guy, the presenter, your presenter. One in town. Right. Versus Gavin Town last night. Oh, last, yesterday. Then drove up north for a game. Mm. What happened? Well, it, was a, it was a big one. I, I, you, know what, you know what happened, right? I was up front. I was in the number 10 role, actually, behind oh, the yeah. main striker. Doing a bit of running. I uh, wasn't having the greatest game I've had. Probably an average game, I'd say. I uh, wasn't happy with overall my performance. Three all. We were 2-0 up at half time. We nearly were throwing this game away here. Heading to extra time, Johnny. Look, I didn't want to talk about this, but... Colin, thank you for bringing it up. Um, and yeah, missed the chance in the 88th minute to win it. What sort of chance? I was stretching and I tried to flick it past the keeper, but I was just too tired. I couldn't get there properly in time. I think, Not I fit think. enough. Not fit enough. Mm. And then 92nd minute, get the ball 30 yards out, take a nice touch past the defender, I look up, I'm thinking, fuck it. You have one here. I'm going to have one here. Belted it, curled into the top bins. Top top four three four three win. We didn't even have, to have extra time. So didn't even mention that. So all the Cavan Town lads out there, 
commiserations, but uh, it was actually a good game. It was important to mention, like, this is a day in the life of Shane Hannan. It's a very talented family, it has to be said. Well, listen, yeah, I mean, we, we've had it before, but well, listen, you, you obviously can play a bit. We're delighted, so congrats to all the town lads. We've we've a cup final to look forward to, so always fun. Yeah. So that I presume that's like Ulster Cup, then is it? Uh, no, it's a it's a Premier Cup in the Monaghan Cavan League. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Monaghan Cavan is is like the the merge league and merge league. Yeah. 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 yeah so any okay. sign of uh, a League of Ireland team to emerge? I'd love to see one, Johnny. Yeah. I'd love to see one in, in the area back again, but uh, yeah, because I used to be a ball boy, as you know, in Monaghan. Mm. With the cows in the background, it was one of those famous pitches. Go to Keegan. That's where we played last night. Actually, go to Keegan. Oh, lovely! Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you, well, did anyone record this? You hit top ends. Oh, that's, that's, that's what I said. Anyone out there? Proof, we want you know. uh, proof of Shane Hand. A winner in the top corner of Gert Keegan. That yeah. that would mean a lot to me. That well, if anyone has that, as a, if anyone who was at, at at the match as a spectator has a video, please send it my my direction. Mm. Not because I want, not because I have an ego or anything. Mm. Maybe I do. I'd love. I'd love to see a video of like scoring a great goal, any goal actually. Yeah, it's like yeah. you know, all the TVs that are outside the office here, just it playing on a loop so oh, that yeah. everyone yeah. throughout the building can see Shane Hannon. Ah, oh, fantastic! You well, never that- mentioned it like all morning. We've been here like all morning. You never it's mentioned modest it. Guys, I like that. I like that. Modest guys, it was you know? surprised in the running order for you. It was a little yeah. surprise. Yeah. You know? I'd be all over it. Little nugget. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm on a scoring spree. My manager said to me before the match, "You're on a bit of a spree at the minute." Mm-hmm. Little as you know, I've scored in the last eight games. Wow, straight. So Johnny. I know where the onion bag is. Yeah, that's my that's my phrase that I've come up come out with a, a thousand times this show. We've gone with the strongest segment, so on to the second strongest, the Milan derby. <laughs> oh, the, the second yeah. most important match last night, yeah. the Champions League semi final. Um, decent game. It was alright. Like Inter, I, I I sat down to watch this. Really looking forward. to haven't watched the Milan derby in a long time. It's the first time they met each other in Champions League since two thousand and five, and they played each other in the two thousand and three semi final, which mm. AC Milan won. But the, uh, Milan were going into this game feeling very inferior to their neighbours what's that about I don't know because there's only one place and two points between them in Serie A but Inter uh, are considered the far better team and they showed it like they flew out of the traps two Premier League uh, cult heroes Henrik Mkhitaryan Edin Dzeko given Inter a, a it's such a lead. throwback when I saw Mkhitaryan's name on the he's a player now I, I'm very upset it didn't work out for him in the that Premier League uh, both, uh, both at Manchester United and then Arsenal he scored in the Europa League final for United didn't yeah, he? yeah he was decent but uh, he just said it, he was at the club at the wrong time like mm-hmm. you know like I think he'd be better off now but a fine player great finish great um, dummy work by Zeko for that goal as well he dragged the defenders away good finish but I, as you said like the Zeko finish oh poacher pure, pure instinct yeah. and direction uh, they could have gone 3-0 up smacked the post mm. as well Charlie Nuglis, yeah, like, that was a, 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 a general Milan hero for both sides yeah uh, over the years uh, now in fairness AC were much better in the second half Tanali hit the post Yeah, that could have made it interesting but I can't help but feel I don't know about you that it's going to be an Inter-Madrid final mm. I, think Madrid will, I think Madrid will do City I think they'll do City At next the end week that's, a, yeah. that's, a, that's an interesting show no I really do I think Madrid are going to do City and I, and I think very disappointingly it's going to be an Inter-Madrid final Disappointing, it could be decent on paper. Fan. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I'll, I'll wait to see it. But uh, Man City have been far better at home than um, I, I like. I thought the other night I gave Madrid a great chance, and City were heavy favourites to win the game, which I thought was questionable. Um, but they've been far better um, at home, and I think they'd be very happy with one one. Mm. I wouldn't really. I I don't think Real are actually that good. I just think they're very well coached. Oh, totally. They're reliant on three players with an average age of thirty five, and we talk about Zeko, but. 
Cruz, Modric and um, Benzema are 33, 35 and 37 respectively Incredible. and it's mad that they're able to compete at that level but City at I home say they're the kind of players that their age doesn't really matter in this it should, it should. Like, mm, like how is yeah. Modric at 37 able to play at that tempo it's, it's incredible he's generational talent though he is. I mean I, mm. like you're saying like I don't think it's the age like he's he's conditioned so well yeah. that it's kind of irrelevant and also he's not like up and down all day for you true you know that, that's, and that's not his biggest part of the game he can do that it's absolutely. not irrelevant though at 37 it's totally. asking an incredible totally. incredible um, outlier to be able to play at that level at 37 LeBron James is 37 mm. Lakers yeah. lost the Warriors yeah. last night by Zeko's the way Zeko's 37 yeah, yeah. it's mad Mkhitaryan's 34 I think, I think is football going to get to the they're point they're the oldest scorers in a knockout Champions League game actually the two right. of them. yeah uh, do you wow. do you feel like sports science is going to get to the point where like in yeah. in 50 years time you'll have players who are I don't know what 45 and still playing 100% like non-goalkeepers I mean they're going to be playing into their 40s yeah mm. look how fit these people are like even even look at the GAA yeah. after the match like they'd be taken off the top or whatever like the conditioning of these oh, players like ridiculous compared, compared, to, place, so, compared you know. to 20 years ago where you, they just simply weren't mm. you know you could just see that they they didn't do any extra work in the gym and you would say that for professional sport in England like 10 years ago look at the just look at the players bodies like they're just not anywhere near what they're like now they, these people live like the perfect mm. monk style life where it's just football consuming no crack all the like. time I mean, there's no I'd say the peak to play would have been about 20 years ago where funny. you would have made a bit of money you know and you're also able to enjoy yourself yeah. when, we were, when we were younger uh, you know when we were collecting those stickers and stuff I thought of oh, footballers are real professional I was listening to the Keith Tracy podcast that you recommended to me I finished it on Talking Bollocks and it was very very good mm. very very good it's two hours in duration mm. if you haven't listened to Colin recommended it to me and I, I literally uh, listened to it in two one hour segments and it was unbelievable the, the stories from it and there was one point where he was talking about the, the drinking sessions that, that they would have got up to at, uh, which was it Blackburn? But he said that the drinking went on at like, even as late as 2008, 2009. And I, I was thinking at that period, footballers are ultra professional, but he was like, well, not fully. They were in the physio room and, and players were absolutely loaded. Mm. You know what? Just waking up the next morning after a night out and going in and getting the physio, still drunk. I, I like Paul Joyce after the Sligo win just saying, yeah, the lads, of course we'll enjoy it. You know? Yeah. It's just being kind yeah. of, treat them like, um, you know, human beings. Human beings. Adults. Yeah. yeah. How did you celebrate last night? You know? Ah, it was quite one last night, Johnny. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, the midweek games don't lend themselves to the to the proper w- celebration. When's the final? We don't know yet. It'll be the next couple of weeks. Can we get a camera on it? We should actually. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, reporters yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Jesus, the pressure beyond then. To It'll be a nice little AM day out, night out. Oh yeah. 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 We, we, we need to take the stuff on the road, like you know. True. The people want it. Sorry, can I just uh, mention one thing before we move off? The you can. Derby. Thank you. The Martinez penalty incident. Oh wow! Yeah. Do you see that? Did everyone see this? Like that's what Steve McManaman said. In fact, wow! When the referee like, was walking and that's over. what I want to talk about is the reaction to it, right? Mm. So like, it, it looked like a penalty watching it live. Yeah. But the referee made the right decision. Then the refs told, "I think you need to go look at this." Mm. And fair play to the ref. He was like, ah, "Actually, I got that wrong." Yeah. yeah. And then you watch it back, and you're like, "Yeah, he did get it wrong," and he corrected it. Now Phil Egan made the point this morning in the office: if that was in the Premier League, I bet you it wouldn't have been overturned. I bet you it would have been like, "Okay, we better keep keep calm and carry on." Too stubborn. Yeah. BT Sport um, in the halftime break, I thought they focused too much on that incident alone and didn't talk about the football. And this is a running team at the moment mm. in analysis of games. People are obsessed with incidents and don't actually talk about the tactical nuance yeah. Yeah. of the game. Yeah. You know, obsessed with what actually happens. And the whole complaint at half-time by Stephen Gerrard and everybody else in the studio was, why did the ref go to VAR? 
Yeah. But, but that's the whole point of VAR. He never even t- he didn't touch it. It was brilliantly used. Yeah. I think everyone was happy with that decision. Unnamed LOI official, I was, I was just DMing him on Instagram yesterday. He goes, with a bit of luck, the push comes to get VAR in eventually in the League of Ireland. I was like, I did not expect uh, an official to say that because I don't want VAR in the League of Ireland. Like, you don't want VAR in the League of Ireland? No, because, see, like, Shamrock Rovers and Bowes, like, on Friday, that was a game where VAR would have definitely helped Bowes. But, like, I, I like the fact that officials make the decisions. I like the fact that human errors. Still you wouldn't there. like it if Goey and Edward were in a promotion playoff. And and absolutely irrelevant. No, why is that irrelevant? It's, it doesn't matter. It's just like you can't pick like oh my look my club. It's like I don't like VAR in general. I think it's taken the. What about goal line technology? Yeah, f- that's fine. I wonder will it be implemented? Yeah, take a bit it, of technology, obviously, and a bit of money, but sure. Yeah, I, but I, I was like, thinking like even like look at some of the WSL sta- stadiums, which aren't that far off. Some of the sizes mm. of the League of Ireland stadiums, and like for them, they are saying it's like seven plus years off getting VAR in. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, like, most of them are like, there's not a hope. There'll probably be more games in the men's side of things than there will be, like, in the clubs and Jesus, or in on, the stadiums. on paper, you think it's such an easy thing to mm. implement, but obviously I don't know what Well, because you need, like, the cameras and you need the facilities to set up the cameras there, and then you also need somewhere to put the VAR. In the same way, you know, like, the TMO has a room in rugby or whatever, you need someone to put them there, you need mm. to make sure that all the technology works, then you need someone to oversee the technology on the day, like... You say VAR, but there's actually five or six different people behind it. Yeah. It is, but it's had so many iterations already, where now, like, we're at the stage where stuff is, like, let go probably too easily, and it's gone from one extreme to the other. I just I just like the old-fashioned way. Just yeah. let the referee decide. Let the linesman or lineswoman decide. If they get it wrong, they get it wrong. So what? Move on. Yeah. You must be delighted with Virgin Media's decision. I am, I am. And, like, um... It was interesting with Virgin when Virgin did Shamrock Rovers bows. It did it relatively on the cheap, like, and it. I I've uh, done work for Virgin. It's it's a commercial operation, and like it, it doesn't have the money that RT has from uh, license uh, fees. So it has to do things in a way to make money. And I've absolutely no problem if Virgin doesn't show the League of Ireland because it it, it has no remit to show the League of Ireland. It can show whatever it wants. It has to make money. And it seems that it was happy enough with the Bose Rovers game to do it with the kind of um, the video access it already has. Have a studio. Don't overspend. It still came across very well. And yeah. show five more games. And Virgin around the game did so much. Like, you know, they brought the weatherman out to Daily Mount. And uh, the League of Ireland is quite insecure. Now, it, it's kind of coming out of that. But there was so much love for Virgin because it was showing us love. And I'd love if TG Carr did the same thing. Yeah. TG Carr seems to show every game under the sun. I don't see why he can't show League of Ireland game and do it relatively on the cheap like Virgin because I think it would get the same love. But, yeah, I'm delighted. And, you know, the it gave an opportunity for more people in the studio as well um, to see, like, to get their name kind of out in the League of Ireland circle. And the League of Ireland is very, very watchable at the moment. Like, yeah, for sure. forget about Shane Hannan and Gertie Keegan. This, this stuff <laughs> Is top bins like it is very watchable. It I never is. want to hear that sentence uttered again in the studio. Which forget, forget about, about Shane, Shane Hannon and Keegan. <laughs> yeah. We'll never forget. No, no, never forget. I have one more recommendation for you before I go. Richard go. Harris's book uh, by Joe Jackson. This follows on the Big Night recommendation via Cameron Hill. Mm. Uh, fantastic. If you oh, want is Richard a good Harris book, in Big Night. No, no. Oh, sorry, that was just no. But it's just a cultural, it's cultural week here. O T B A M Culture Club is Thank now a uh, yeah. new section. And big, big Richard Harris. Just want to get that out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that. Obviously, the Milan derby second leg next week. Rafael Leao's absence as well for for AC was a a big blow. I have to say, certainly could have turned. I love the the giant banner on display as well. I was trying to find a translation for it. The devil's face that the AC fans had. It says, "Hell is empty. All the devils are here." Oh, Jesus, that's intimidating. Yeah, in Italian, of course. You wouldn't get that at the Etihad. You certainly don't get that at the Etihad. Or go to Keegan either. 
Um, but yeah, AC Nail entered two. Uh, so just time to uh, bring you what's going to come up. Mm. Now you are calling it that it's uh, Madrid beating. Yeah, Madrid Inter. I think. Shane, it's you're not having that, are you? I'm not, I'm not having no. that. No, no, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like Caffeine. to see. I'd like to see. <laughs> uh, Madrid. We're going Madrid. I'm, go, I'm going to go Madrid two, as well. Two, two. Anyway, here's, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock on the show this morning. We've got Jilly Flaherty coming up in around 15 minutes' time talking to WSL last night. Big wins for Arsenal and for Chelsea. 20 past 8, the hurling power rankings with our own Will O'Callaghan. Uh, John Duggan back in studio with us at 8.40 as well. Uh, John Ryan, the former Munster in Ireland uh, star at 8.50. Uh, Ger Brennan will be with us as well as Darren Clark, the former Dublin and Louth players respectively to preview the Leinster Senior Football Final this weekend. That is at 10 past 9. And we're talking the Oakland is yes. from uh, half, half past nine which is from last night's show it's OTBM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now Kathleen you were with Vera Pau during the week and you got managed to see the, the Women's World Cup trophy in person yeah, it was a pretty cool event. Uh, it was over in Irish Town yesterday. They had the World Cup trophy there. They had blitzes for loads of schoolgirls. So there's a picture on screen now for anyone who's watching of Abby Larkin and Vera Powell with the trophy. And it was just a really nice atmosphere. They were like, you know, all the girls were excited. They were running up to Abby Larkin and Olivia O'Toole, the, the legend that she is, was there as well. Um, and when I was standing talking to Olivia and this one little girl came up to her and she was like, Olivia, my coach asked me to ask you, how do you score so many goals ah. and it's just like it was just a really nice atmosphere and you know a good way to set up the excitement ahead of the the World Cup uh, Olivia O'Toole was also great I love her she's so funny mm-hmm. I was kind of like loitering around the World Cup trophy and she was like Kathleen stand in there now and get your picture taken like with the official photographers and I was like Olivia they don't want a picture of me like they want a picture of you and she was like no you've done a lot of coverage you deserve to stand in there and have your moment and I was like that's so nice that's um, but yeah it was really interesting Interesting chatting to Vera as well at the event. So I don't know how much you guys have been following this, but there's been a bit of controversy in the lead up to the World Cup where the European Club Association has said that players shouldn't be released until 10 days before the tournament starts, which is difficult because that's also the same day that most players are supposed to be flying out. You know, generally you get about two weeks before a tournament. It's kind of the same in the meds game. And uh, Vera Powell had some very strong comments on it, which we have to play for a clip for you all now. There was talk from the European Clubs Association about releasing players within international windows only. Is that something you're concerned about in terms of the squad? I'm really concerned. It's not been wise of uh, the European Club Association to say it like that. There's players that do not have any football for 11 weeks. If you would only release them on the 10th of July with a 10-hour jet lag going to Australia, you can put your ambulances next to the stadium to put to transport them to hospital with ACLs. So uh, what they say, the safety of players, they need to ask the experts first before they come out with something. Um, what they have to say and that is what I want to give to them is every single player needs to have at least two weeks of rest before you build up again that makes sense and that is something that they should say not the release of 10th of July with finishing leagues now last week Uh, because there's players 11 weeks without football it's crazy and it's just a panic reaction on the base of all the injuries in England Um, they should look at their own clubs the training methods, why do Chelsea not have it and why do other clubs have it? That is what they need to find out. That's interesting. They are never afraid to 
give her opinion? Yeah, definitely a woman who isn't afraid of making a statement. It is interesting because like, she does have a point in that, say, the championship has just finished up in England. And so take our players that are in Birmingham or London City Lionesses, you know, your Louise Quinn, mm. Lily Ag. They have no football now until the next international window. And she, it wasn't played in that clip, but she said a little bit later on that last week the FAI were forced to write to every single individual club of all the potential people who will be in the squad and just say, like, look, this is outlining, this is what we want to do with the squad. This is how your players are going to be treated. This is our plans. And she was like, you know, normally you'd have conversations with the clubs anyways around those sort of things, but this just required that extra level when they're in the middle of their World Cup prep like she was saying that they're already shipping all their stuff out to Australia this week which I was like oh that's bad I keep thinking it was ages away and then I realised this week yeah that it's not actually that far away Um, so yeah it's been interesting she is very much of the opinion that this is just a knee jerk reaction to the ongoing ACL crisis in the game Um, she mentioned Chelsea there Emma Hayes has like come out and she has said that you know something does need to be done but kind of didn't really lie down on either side of what that is. Mm. Personally, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially for the European clubs who are, you know, going to be dealing, or the European players who are going to be dealing with, you know, jet lag. If you're sending them out 10 days before the tournament, they haven't had any football in like several weeks. It does just sound like a recipe for a disaster, in my mind anyways. So it's during, it's during the off-season, the pre-season for the clubs. Yeah, so why, so, why, why do they care when the players are sent off? I think they're thinking more of the top leagues necessarily than they are, say, something like the championship. So the WSL still has another like couple of rounds left to grow. So they are going to have less time to chill ahead of the World Cup. And there still is another international window before they're let go for the official World Cup one. Um, you know, the way Ireland are playing Zambia and France. So I think that's part of it, but also... It just, I feel like that's the sort of thing where there has to be something better than saying to players, you're only allowed to leave your club literally the day you have to fly to, or from your club's remit, the day you fly out to Australia. Like, I can't imagine players like Katie McCabe are all that happy with that as a a way of prepping for a World Cup. Like, I know she'll probably be doing stuff herself, but as the captain of the team as well, I'm sure she probably wants to be in that atmosphere and, you know, getting people together. So there's going to be nerves as well. It's our first World Cup. I, I'm talking about this specifically from an Ireland's point of view. Yeah. But, you know, there's going to be nerves. There's going to be players who have never played in front of those sort of crowds. You know, closest is probably the girls in England who have played in FA Cup finals and stuff. They're going to need that time to get their heads around everything and yeah I don't know I just I do get what the ECA are saying and that there should be protections to players so that we don't have say like a situation with the men's world cup where you know that was in the middle of a season and it wasn't a lot of players have said since then that they're absolutely wrecked and it's taken a big toll on their body and their mental health Mm. I I totally get there should be protections I'm just not sure if the ACA are going about this the right way at the moment I just hope that they that they they maybe see sense but also that if they don't see sense then the Irish team can just forget about it because you can let this fester and get into your head ahead of a tournament and you see even the likes of say the French men's team in 2010 it's something small can get into a camp and you can let it 
bother you and annoy you and, and not let it go. But I guess it's the same for, for everyone. It's the only thing. Yeah, it is the same for everyone. But also, I don't... Because technically, all the work that the ECA does with like FIFA and international federations, it's all kind of based on understanding or like memorandums of understanding. So... Mm-hmm. They they have a memorandum of understanding with FIFA, which is a signed document, but it's not 100% binding. You know, it's yeah. kind of based on people's goodwill. So it makes me wonder, you know, is there a possibility that, say, players can Say England, like most of them are playing in England, based in England. Is there a chance that they can bop up and down to St. George's Park in that time? Mm. But the Irish players aren't given that same opportunity or you know if Leon say to their players oh yeah you can all go off we don't mind you take it as a holiday go to your international body we don't mind there is a little bit of room for disparity there depending on how a club reacts to it yeah um so yeah I again it's one of those things I don't know how big of an impact it may or may not have it strikes me as something that at the end of the day, they're going to have to talk to the players and be like, well, what do you want? And maybe trust in that. And I know you can't always trust a player. The ongoing argument was, say, HIA or something that players just want to play through injury. Um, so like I said, I don't know what the right thing is, but I do think Vera has a point when she says that it doesn't sound particularly healthy to for players to be coming in and having to fly out straight away, go straight into a camp. There's possibly going to be a warm-up game over in Australia in those 10 days against another World Cup side for Ireland. Um, that's still to be confirmed, but there's a potential that that's going to happen. So you fly out, you have two or three days to recover jet lag, you haven't played football in 11 weeks, and you're expected to play a game, and then go into the biggest game of your career mm. in front of 80,000 people, the host nation. I mean, like... I'm getting jitters just thinking yeah. about it and I don't actually have to do it. <laughs> in the Southern Hemisphere as well, there's so much to take in for that team. Like, um, It's going to be very, very difficult. Oh, 80,000 people. A lot of Irish people like mm. as well. Yeah, I think the general consensus seems to be that the crowd is going to be pretty, you know, 50-50. Right. Or if not 50-50, 60-40, which is pretty good considering how far away Australia mm. is. Um, like, I was talking to Jonathan Hill yesterday, um, the head of the FAI, and he was saying that they've had so much contact from groups down in Australia, either like AFL clubs, like GA clubs, just general Irish Australian groups down there, all trying to organise like watch parties and being like, is there any chance we could get like one of the players to turn up at some stage to like come <laughs> say hello or give a training session or whatever it is? Uh, obviously, their full focus is on the games, but you can understand why people are like, they're down here. We might as well chance our arms. They just want a piece of it. Yeah. So he was saying that it's been the response down there almost already has it's almost made more of an impact down there mm. than they're seeing up here at the moment, which I thought was kind of interesting. But I think it's the sort of thing with, say, the trophy was at the Mansion House yesterday for three hours as well. So anyone could go in and see it and get their photos taken. And there's lots of events starting to pop up. I mean, there's one tonight um, for Off the Ball in the Square Ball that Jerry is hosting with Anya Gorman and Linda Gorman, who was on the original women's national team. So... You know, there's lots of exciting things starting to happen and starting to get that hype hype train going. That 1973 team were in. The, I know you spoke to them as well, Kathleen, the last week. They're on the Late Late Show as well. They were doing the rounds, talking about the the historic 
first game in, uh, for an Irish women's team. I remember there was one of them that spoke in the Little Show as well about. Um, she says she watches a lot of this current team and she feels like she feels confident they could get out of the group. Mm. Like I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but is there actually a chance? A chance we could get out of the group. I think everyone is kind of basing it on if we can get a result, so like a win or a draw against Australia in that first game, that probably is what any success for this team hinges on. Because, and of course, it had to be the first game against Australia. I, I mean, uh, because if we can do that and if we can get a result against Nigeria, then there is a possibility. And also, Chances are, if that happens, we'll be coming second in the group and probably facing England in the next round, Fantastic. which would be, you know, be pretty iconic if it did happen. Uh, it's interesting because I was asking Vera yesterday. I was like, oh, you know, I'm sure she's coached so many different teams. Like lifting that trophy that you're standing beside now has probably always been a dream. And I was like, is there any chance we might see that in Australia? And she just shut it down straight away. I, I, I was kind of asking, being a bit funny, like I don't really think there's a chance of it either. But it was just, it was almost like straight away, she was like, no, that's not the aim of what we're going for. She was like, we're focused on the group. We are focused on that first game, getting a result and going from there. And there was no talking about anything else. How did they approach the game against Australia? I think they're going. Stop go- Sam Kerr. <laughs> yeah, stop Sam Kerr is probably going to be the main one. Like this Australia team has been on a very similar journey to this Irish team in that they've had potential for so long and they haven't really been able to tap into it. And literally around the same time that Vera Powell came into Ireland, Tony Gustavson came into Australia and has slowly just been chipping away at the team and building the team that he wants in the same way that Vera's been doing it. And they're only, I would say, in the last like six to eight months starting to really hit their stride, uh, which, of course, is great timing for us. We're delighted to see it. Um, and there's real optimism in Australia that this team can, you know, go all the way. So number one is going to be stopping Sam Kerr. But I also think if Ireland want to get something out of this group, we really need to sort out how we're going to attack because... We can't just depend... When they have someone like Sam Kerr, you have to assume that she is going to get a goal. And she's not the only... I mean, if Caitlin Ford is out at the moment, if she's fit again, she's also very, very nifty at getting a goal. There's a couple of options we need to shut down there, and I think we need to look at it as, like, we can't just throw everyone behind the ball and hope that we don't concede. I think we need to sort out that front option. Um Leanne Kiernan back on the bench for Liverpool at the weekend. Hopefully, there's so few games left, but hopefully she gets a bit of play in time because I really think she could be a good option. Mm. I do think we're getting closer. I definitely think the US games showed us that we're getting closer. It's just the finishing. We yeah. really need to sort that out. Shane, you want to go in there and just give them a few I pointers? Know, yeah, 30-yard <laughs> top in. We'll, we'll take that against Australia, wouldn't we? First game, Absolutely. last minute. Any result will do, to be honest. We'll take a draw. Um, you mentioned Caitlin Ford there. Nice segue into Arsenal last night in the WSL, Kathleen. Um, it was a night of games being over by the first 20 oh, minutes. <laughs> kind of boring, but like, yeah, because all of Arsenal's action was in the first half, wasn't it? Yeah, and then Chelsea as well were like 2 0 up after 11 minutes and went on to win 6 0. Uh, so it was just, yeah, a general night for games being over very early. But uh, yeah. Great performance from Arsenal. Uh, great to see Blackstenius get those two goals. And also very good to see Pelova scoring as well. Mm. One of those players that when she signed, I was really excited for. Knew she wasn't going to be a first-team player initially. 
um, because of the team that we had. She came last summer. Um, but one of those really exciting young talents. And then just with the way Arsenal season has gone, they've been so dependent on these younger players. I mean, I looked at our bench for Wolfsburg and I think out of the five players that were on there, four of them had never put on a senior jersey. Like Jeez. that's the general level of injury that they have at the moment. Uh, Frida Manum as well has really stepped up. She got her second goal in two games um, there t- last night. But yeah, I think... Brighton have been on like a tiny bit of a resurgence under Melissa Phillips, who was at London City Lionesses and nearly brought them to promotion in the into the WSL, and then weirdly left to go to Angel City a couple of weeks ago, and then turned up at Brighton again. So I'm not entirely sure what happened there, but um, she has brought them on a bit of a resurgence. So I didn't go into this match thinking it was going to be a complete easy walk. I thought Arsenal would win, but I didn't expect it to be quite as uh, overwhelming as it was. Mm. Nice assist from Katie McCabe as well for Stina. Blexenius' first goal. Very classic Katie scrambling up the wing and then uh, yeah, just in over the top of Blexenius' head. What's Katie's role against Australia? (sighs) Where where does she play? (laughs) Where does she play or where do I want her to play? (laughs) Two very different questions. Um, If if you're Stephen Kenny, right... Stephen Kenny just takes the job for the day from Vera Powell. He's going to say to Katie McCabe, he's going to say to all the Irish players, we can actually beat these, but we're not going to play conservative for 90 minutes. So is Vera, is she thinking we just have to stop Australia and hope for hope that we nick one like from a set piece or... Where, yeah, I'm going around about, but like, yeah, where? Because then you have to utilize Katie McCabe in an attacking sense and say you have to hurt them here, as opposed to like we have to sit behind the ball for ninety minutes. Yeah, I think it. I would have said that Vera would have played conservatively, but then in the US they didn't play conservatively, and like I know we didn't win the games, but like the results were pretty good mm. if we had converted some of those blooming chances. Like we had so many chances. It actually still irks me that we didn't manage to convert more of them. So I think if she lines up like that against Australia, I I would be happy, even if they didn't get the win, because I was like, at least we're going out to win it. But I have a feeling that, I don't know. It, it also depends on the squad she brings and who she decides to bring, because she's had big squads and all those, so she's been able to move around and play a little less conservatively, but she only has 23 to bring to Australia. So That's horrible for those, obviously, this mm. are on the fringes. Tough decisions for a manager yeah, to make. Yeah, yeah, it is. That is horrible. We're gonna we're gonna pick back up on WSL in just a just a second. But uh, OTBM at eight oh four a.m. approaching on this Thursday morning with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. During this short ad break, this week's episode of the Koi Gig Podcast, Emma Byrne, Karen Duggan, and Kathleen talked about Reading, bottom of the WSL table, and their significant midfield issues. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. After the ad break, Jilly Flaherty on Arsenal and Chelsea from last night in the WSL. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. 8.07 on Thursday morning's OTBM with ourselves and we're going to continue the WSL chat from last night now and uh, delighted to welcome Jilly Flaherty, former WSL star to the show as per usual. Jilly, good morning, how are things? Good, thank you. How are you? All good, all good. Thanks for hopping on as uh, as usual. We uh, we might start with the Arsenal match. We were just touching on it there before the uh, ad break. Uh, dominant performance, 4-0 win at Brighton, uh, takes them back up to third in the, in the WSL standings. An impressive performance overall. Uh, Kathleen here was mentioned Victoria Palova. Um, 
and her performance particularly dropping into midfield when, when Leah Valti was uh, ruled out through illness in the warm-up um, a really impressive performance overall from Arsenal and Pilova especially yeah, I mean, obviously Arsenal dominated from um, minute one. Blackstinia should have had a hat trick probably within the first twenty minutes. Um, she was ruled offside when, when you're looking back at the replay, she wasn't offside. Um, and then she had a, another chance with a header to to get. She should have really had four goals in the first half. I mean, Arsenal were uh, they were just on it. They were hungry for minute one. Um, Obviously, with Vorti coming out in the in the warm up, Jody Taylor coming, we were sort of a bit like, what's he going to do? Is he going to drop? Uh, call or Pelova deeper with Marnham, which he done. Obviously, Pelova sat in with Marnham, and I mean, I think she was brilliant there because she was able to get the ball from the defence and and get the ball quickly up the pitch for Arsenal. But she's been such a, such a star for him this year, being able to to step in. Obviously, there's been a lot of injuries at Arsenal when there's younger players that have come in or players that potentially might not have played a lot of minutes who have now stepped up and. Are playing really well, um, but for me, Arsenal were just the hungrier team from from minute one last night. Uh, welcome return for Caitlin Ford from injury as well, which Jonas Eideval will be pretty happy with that for those last three games of the season. It's a it's a big boost. Yeah, and I mean, it, it seemed like he didn't really want to make that substitution because obviously, Geo come off. She was a sub that come on. She went in for a tackle and she come off with her holding her hamstrings. I hope that's something too serious. But obviously, then Caitlin Ford come on. There's obviously you've got the game midweek next week, um, which will be a great chance for Caitlin Ford to get more minutes going into the Chelsea game um, on the weekend. So, yeah, she's huge for him. And I think she has been a big loss because she she likes to travel with the ball. She she brings pay. She brings that experience. But again, you're looking at that. The way they played last night, the players that come in, they've done a fantastic job. Do you think it's fair to say, Julie, that Arsenal probably outperformed themselves and beyond what most expectation would be of them considering the lineups that they've had to put out due to injuries over the last couple of weeks. Even look at, say, City's performance at the weekend and they've had a relatively settled like bench and team for the last couple of weeks and you wouldn't have expected that sort of performance whereas Arsenal seemed to... I know they didn't get the win in the Champions League but they fairly put up a fight when you consider the sort of players that were at their disposal. Yeah, and I've, I've always thought that Arsenal's weakness would have been their bench, really, because you're looking at the likes of Chelsea, that you take, that, for example, their game against Everton, Sam Kerr gets injured and they're able to call Peniel Harder off the bench in the first 30 minutes. Like, she's an incredible player. You've got Erin Cuthbert on the bench, you know, in that game that you're able to bring on. Those players are the players that normally are starting. So Chelsea do have that, where I think Arsenal would have that if they hadn't had so many injuries as what they've had. Um so I would I'd say with Arsenal what you're seeing really is the the strength of the team, you know, the togetherness. That's what's pulling them through and, and players are stepping up. You they talked about Jennifer Beattie, for example, who has been really mainly a squad player all season. Um, then due to obviously the injury to Leah has come in and comes in for a Champions League semi final and plays extremely well. Um and you're seeing that last night, obviously the last couple of games she's cramped up, but those players now, those are the players that are starting and they've, they're taking it by the horn. They've been fantastic and they've really showed their leadership qualities too and stepped up when the team's needed it. But I feel like with Arsenal, they're just this never-say-die attitude. Like they just know how to win. And I thought last night's game might be a bit more difficult for them, how Brighton have been playing in the recent weeks. But they just showed their class last night. 
and I, I guess it gives an opportunity to, to some younger players as Kathleen mentions uh, Jilly like even last night you see Frey Godfrey uh, a debut for her and a first WSL appearance of the season for Taya Goldie both 18 years of age um, so I guess all the injuries have been terrible for Arsenal this season but then the flip side of it is all of a sudden you get appearances and minutes into the legs in the WSL for young players that otherwise wouldn't have got them yeah, and that's that's what I say as well. When I, obviously with me, I got chucked into playing senior football quite young, but I was only I was only really given my chance at Arsenal because every, I was I was eighteen at the time. But every other or seventeen, every other centre back in front of me was injured. There was no one else possible that could play centre back. So Vic Akers, my manager at the time, had no choice but to play me. I was the only one fit and available. And I mean, I was lucky enough that I was able then to secure my place and and stayed in the team really, but. It is. I mean, injuries are a... There's a positive and a negative spin to injuries. Obviously, negative is you're losing the top players like Viv. You're leaving, losing Mead, uh, Kim, Leah for, for such a long time. But the positive is, is without those injuries, could you potentially have been seeing Marnham play the way she's played this year? Would you have seen Palova come in and play as many minutes as what she had? And especially the youngsters getting a chance off the bench because... If those players were fit, those youngsters might not even be making the bench in the first place. And the best way to get experience is by be given the opportunity to play. And when obviously you're four 0 up at half time, you can then afford to make those changes and give players the opportunity. The the the, the difference, Julian, since you came in as a kid compared to the kids coming in now, what's the difference coaching wise in terms of like the ages that they started and like the the technical coaching, I suppose, that they've had compared to your time. Um, yeah, I mean, well, the, the youngsters now are going into a full-time environment. Um, they're obviously going, whether it be the obviously the academies that have been set up um, or they're going straight into getting a, a pro contract with the first team. They're, they're in a full-time environment, so they're getting that exposure. Whereas with me, when I went to Arsenal when I was 15, I was only training two nights a week and playing on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mad to think then that we were still, we won the Champions League then, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, being a semi-pro team. So, yeah, I mean, the, the exposure that's there for them is a lot higher. They get to work a lot more with coaches. And I mean, I know my time at Liverpool and my time at West Ham, especially is that, especially with the youngsters, there was real dedicated time. If a youngster said, I want to work on this, or I want to work on that, coaches had things set up for them. And there was a lot more now of reviewing games and watching back training sessions and, and working on IDP, so like your individual training plans. Um, or development programs and things like that which we didn't have back then so it's it's frightening now I think for how to see how far the game's going to go with players being able to get that opportunity but yeah they've got they've got it all at their feet Have you got any regrets in that regard? Well I wish I was born now <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah I mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful because I've been part of an era that had to work um and then I was blessed with the opportunity to be a professional footballer. So I feel like I've got that humble side of me that went from that and, and become the pro. And I'll always be grateful for that. And I had to work for everything. So, uh, I mean, I, I love the fact that I got to do both. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's exciting to see where the game will be in the next five, ten years. The, uh, the other game last night, Jilly, was the, the Chelsea-Leicester match again, a, a bit of a pounding 6-0 uh, victory for, for Chelsea. Emma Hayes spoke afterwards, she used, used the word clinical a couple of times and said the team maybe haven't been as clinical as she would have liked uh, at different points of this season. Uh, they were certainly clinical last night, three up after 32 minutes. Uh, so that moves them a point behind Manchester United at the top with a game in hand, Chelsea. So 
theirs to lose the title at this at, at, at this juncture. Yeah, and I mean the the main thing as well from the last two games with Everton and Leicester is before them two games, Man United had such a big goal difference on Chelsea, and because of those results, now the goal the goal difference is the same. So it's like now they've completely shut that. So whereas before you could see if it went down to the wire. United would have dominated Chelsea on goal difference and they could have won the league on that. Chelsea have bridged that gap, which was obviously really difficult to do. And in my opinion, I thought, again, Leicester was going to make Chelsea a lot more difficult than what they did. But when Chelsea are in the form that they're in and they've got that hunger, they've got that ruthlessness, you don't really want to be the team that's standing in their way. Um, I I didn't get to really see much of the game last night because obviously I was covering the Arsenal game, Mm. but... I watched the game, or covered the game on Sunday against Everton. And they had like, well, the five shots on target they had in the first half, they had five goals. Like, that's so rare to see in any game of football. Um, and it's, it, they, they, were, they were incredible. They were just ruthless and hungry. hungry and it's a, I think it has cost them previous on in the season, um, not having that. But again, you look at the likes of Peniel Harder coming back. She brings so much to the team and, She's been out of the team since November, so she's been a big loss for them. Um, but it just clicked at the right time for Chelsea. And for me, I, I can't see anyone else winning it but them. I was going to ask you about Pernilla Harder, because obviously she's scored three goals in her last two games after coming back. Her first goals in 193 days. And then there was reports yesterday, it was yesterday or the day before, just before they started playing that, uh, she and Magda Eriksson might be off to Bayern Munich if they don't agree a contract with Chelsea this summer. How much of a loss would that be for Chelsea, considering that she's come back in and immediately started scoring? I was quite surprised when I saw Bayern Munich. I thought if they were going to go somewhere, it'd be somewhere different. But I know she has had a lot of good experiences in the Frauen Bundesliga before. Yeah, I mean, she she will be a huge loss um, because she offers so much. She, you can see her. I think she come on in the in the Champions League games, and I mean, she hadn't. You could tell she hadn't played. Um, she didn't really get the ball. To be fair, coming up against Barcelona, she was just sort of chasing. And then obviously, then when you look at the um, the game against Everton, obviously when she come on, her first touch was a goal, and it was a, such a classy finish too. Um, but she brings so much and. Obviously, yeah, it's linked to Bayern Munich. She's been linked to Leon, Real Madrid, the pair of them. So I, I think they'll go. Um, I don't think they'll stay. But, I mean, both of them, I think Magda Eriksson as well, I think she's been a fantastic captain for Chelsea. Um, she found it difficult as well because she was out of the team. And, again, she's come in and her and Mara Mielda have been fantastic at the back with the two injuries to Buchanan and Millie Bright. Um so, yeah, I think not just on, on the pitch, off the pitch, I think they bring a lot to the club. Um, so they will be a huge loss if they do decide to go. But this is Chelsea. If they know that they're going to go, they're going to bring in two recruitments as well to, to replace them. It's just the way football goes. But, yeah, they'll be a huge loss to Chelsea. Looking down the table a little bit, like the relegation battle has almost been as interesting as the title race, but just one that's kind of in the middle a little bit, West Ham haven't had a win in nine games now. And there's been a bit of talk, you know, when Rianne Skinner went through a similar sort of loss in form, she left at Spurs. There's been other managers this year who've had the same runs. They've all gone. Do you think Paul Koncheski's time is kind of running out or will he be given the summer to rebuild and come back again in September? I'm not sure. And I'm, I'm glad, really, that you've mentioned it because I feel like West Ham have sort of gone under the radar because 
of other teams that are doing bad in and around them. Um, I think if they they didn't have the points on board already before, obviously since December, really since January, they've just had a really bad run and they've not really picked up many points, if any. Um, then if they hadn't put all their points on the board, then for me, they'd be in the relegation fight and I would struggle to see them come out of it. Um, and it's, it's difficult to watch because the West Ham that I know and that I played in, we were so uh, hard to beat. You know, we was we worked well defensively. Um, but it's just a shadow of that team, like basic defending errors. There don't seem to be much confidence in the camp. Um, so, yeah, if you're looking at it, obviously Paul Chesky's got worse stats than what um, Rianne Skinner has. And obviously she was lost her job. So you're looking at that, should he really lose ease? Should they make a change? I I'm not too sure what the answer is down there, but I do know change needs to happen. Something needs to happen because from West End standards and where when I was there, what we built, that's not the same West Ham team that we was a part of, I was a part of. So it's, it's, it's sad seeing, and you've got really good players there. You've got really good girls. They're good human beings, you know, and they deserve to, they deserve better. They, they deserve to play with confidence and to, to, to know that they're good players, you know, not, you don't become a bad player overnight. Um, so I hope that something changes down there and that they're able to, to push on and, and, and pick up results and points and, and go further up the table again and challenge. Was there much fanfare about his appointment? Like, was and has is, is this been a bit of a letdown? No, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, Conch was my assistant last year. Um, so I, I think he was a, I think he was a good number two. I think he was a good assistant manager. Um, he has been there before as a player, you know. He knows what players want. He knows what players feel. Um so he understands that side of the game. I just don't know if he thought maybe that women's football was going to be a, a bit, not easier, but obviously going in as a manager, I know he, he managed non-league at men, in the men's side. I don't know if he thought it would be a bit more less stressful than maybe <laughs> what it is. Um, and, and, and the thing is, is with this, with this league, it's a very tough league, mm. but it's, it's, in my opinion, it's the most competitive league in the world. So it is a difficult job to have. And one that if I didn't have grey hair, I would definitely have grey hair if I'd done that <laughs> job. Like, that's, it is a stressful job. And there's, with the exposure on it from Sky and BBC and all media outlets looking at it now, people's jobs are on the line if there's no results. You could say the same about Kenny Chambers. Mm. Like, is, is her job on the line, really, looking at how ready now? Will they potentially wait to see what happens? at the end of the season and then make change. I think it's difficult now to say, well, yeah, if, if Contreski goes now, who's going to come in for the last few games? Do you know what I mean? It might be a decision at the end of the season where they say, no, we're going to stick with you and we're going to give you the chance to the summer to rebuild or they part ways and bring someone new in because next season you can't have the same season as what you've had this year. And... Jilly, one final question for me, just in terms of uh, Liverpool and that massive win that they had at the weekend. And they've come, you know, kind of important in the title race in terms of the win they had against Chelsea at the start of the season as well. And the potential to, you know, upset a few placements at the top of the table in the coming weeks. Um, where do you see them pushing on for the for the end of the season? And will Mapier be kind of happy with the season or feel like there's still a lot left on the table for them? No, I think I think with Beardy Ami is he, he'll always strive to be better and he'll always want Liverpool to be more. I do think if you if they're honest, their their main target this year was to 
stay in the league, was to secure your safety. Obviously, the, you don't want to come up and be the team that goes back down again. If you're looking at their results, there's games that they've lost that they should have won or that you're looking at, not should have won in the sense of they played better on the day, but in regards to how they are, is it, what players they've got. Like, you're looking at Leicester, for example, they've lost twice to Leicester this year. Um, once, well, the 4 nil that I think they deserve to lose that game. But in regards to you looking at the teams and around you, the teams that you you're aiming for to get three points off of or you're targeting, Leicester would have been one of those teams where they said, we want to get six points against Leicester. Um, it sort of sounds like the best of the rest, you know, like obviously you've got the top four, then the best of the rest underneath. Um, I think like you're looking at the Villa home game. I mean, I played in that. We should never have lost that game. So again, you look at those areas that they would have felt that they'd dropped points where they could have been a lot higher. Um, but I think if you're looking at it here, be honest and say, this, the main thing this year was just safety in the league um, and, and securing your spot for next year and then able to push on. But I think Liverpool have been fantastic. I think they had a really good game against Chelsea midweek. I thought they should have got a draw. Um, and then obviously then the Sunday's game, it could have been more goals as well, watching it. Um, Liverpool had more chances as well to, to put more goals on the board. But yeah, they were brilliant. And that's a huge win for the club. You know, you're talking about the rivalry in that to take three points off of City on your home ground like there's there's not much better I think aside from getting it against Everton and probably United but <laughs> again you've got United at the end of the season like that's not going to be an easy game for United and I think it's going to be a different game to what the away game was when it was 6-0 so yeah I'm chuffed for Liverpool I'm chuffed for the girls in beer there uh, Jilly great stuff as always thanks a million for hopping on this morning no way. See you later. Great stuff. Jenny Flaherty there, the former WSL star uh, at 8.25am on Thursday morning's O2BM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Keep your comments uh, coming in. I did want to mention the NBA playoffs because a lot of people uh, would have maybe stayed up, although I think it was a 3am Irish time start, so possibly not. Uh, you stay up, Jade, after your match I'd and probably driving could. back from Monaghan this morning? I nearly could have because I was up so early. Uh, got some of it live, but it didn't. Uh, but the Lakers lost uh, Game 5 to the Warriors, uh, but they'd probably be a little bit concerned. An injury to uh, Anthony Davis in that one. So 121 points to 106 uh, to the Warriors last night. That's a 3-2 lead in the series still to the Lakers um, Anthony Davis taken to the locker room in a wheelchair as a result of getting elbowed in the head during the fourth quarter I think that the word out of there is that he will be okay he had 23 points 9 rebounds 3 assists uh, at Chase Setter last night in that one it's best of 7 so first of 4 uh, a 3-2 lead for the Lakers in the, that Western Conference semi-final that's going to return uh, for game 6 <coughs> Friday night so the Lakers will get another chance uh, to get over the line LeBron James by the way 25 points and 9 rebounds and Steph Curry led the way for the Warriors with 27 points and 8 assists so great to see two uh, unbelievable talents at the top of their game last night so we'll, we'll of course cover the uh, the the NBA later on in the week no doubt uh, keep your YouTube comments coming in because plenty of people uh, one person's commented on your jumper Kathleen and oh. said it's a lovely colour that's very nice we were trying to des- decipher what colour was it yourself asking what colour it was uh, no it was Colum. what would you um, kind of like um, burnt orange is kind of what we said orange. it was on yeah it's all the important issues we cover. It's from the charity shop. I buy most of my clothes in charity shops. That's Ooh. cool. Yeah, I say yeah. I buy them. My mum is a charity shop whiz. That's really? Class. Yeah. So she studied textiles in college, and she can like spot really beautiful designer pieces a mile off. So like this is Tommy Hilfiger, I think. Ah. Two euro. 
something like that. There has, Ooh, to, be, there has to be a little documentary done on this. Uh, like, yeah. yeah, Mrs. McNamee like goes to find your value in a very ethical way. Oh, yes. like my mum will pick up something for a fiver, and she'll there's this site called Vestiaire where they'll like say it's a bit like eBay, except they actually say, okay, yeah, that is a Prada, that is Chanel, whatever it is, that is a vintage 1973 Arsenal jersey, whatever you want it to be, they will verify it for you. And uh, she's got like a couple of hundred for stuff she's picked up for like between five and 20 quid before. This is this is so cool. What did yeah. you make of Colum's shirt this morning? I was having it, actually. <laughs> it was colourful. Yeah. Well, it was, I was obviously a fan. I'm a, I'm a fan yeah. of a dodgy shirt. I wouldn't call it dodgy, you know, it was just a nice no, shirt. It wasn't dodgy. No, it was, it was just colourful. Was when I say dodgy shirt, I actually mean it as a compliment. <laughs> I think dodgy yeah. shirt is something to lean I, into. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be qualifying your endorsement as an actual endorsement in the sense of some of the stuff you've worn. Fair. Thank you, yeah. Johnny. Thanks very much, Johnny. I don't think we need... I know we had Paul Galvin sponsoring the lads the other day. Oh, yeah. Need to get someone on board for myself and Nashling and the crew. But uh, I think we need like some sort of dodgy shirt shop to come on board. Sure. And a charity shop as well. Just, yeah. Does your mum come yeah. up to Dublin much? Uh, yeah, fair bit. My dad works in Dublin some like a couple of days a week, so sometimes she pops up with him. Do you remember how I like I put you up in my apartment for a month or something just to tie you over? You, so you're going to get me back in terms of a favour by bringing mm-hmm. uh, your mother along to bring me to charity shops because to, to, I, I actually don't shop anymore. Oh, yeah. I've become this old man that stops buying yeah. clothes. Like in lockdown, I love I love shopping, but then in lockdown I kind of got out of the habit, and now I just I just don't do it by you know I just don't do it anymore. So this will be my return. Her favorite thing in the world is doing this, so I oh, don't even lovely. have to convince her. As long as there's a wee pint at the end of it for her, she'll be happy. Fantastic. That's class. No, that's, I, that's like Carsburg don't do like. That's, I mean, it won't be it's actually inspired me to probably because there's I, I pass a couple of charity shops on the way home and I'm walking home after work and I'm like, most I'd love to hop in there. But lovely, lovely everywhere. Everywhere. There's a lot of really good ones there around mm. like Capel Street and stuff. Even so, uh, Georgia Street there has a couple. I think mm. um, definitely something I need to do more of because my sisters are actually into that as well. A little bit of charity shop action. What do so, your What do your family not do? Oh, well, this is it, Johnny. You know, you're you're professionally not to turn up like you know cross between drunk and hungover after getting a t- like a top bins a winner in Gert Keegan in a big game. Showed up this morning, um, you, know. you know, professional. That's, that's, that's what I'm all about Johnny do you know leader captain of the team you got you got to just lead by example I just want to touch on the, the West Ham match tonight as well Izzy Alkmaar this uh, is kind of sneaked up it hasn't it yeah. Europa Conference League semi-final first leg that's 8pm tonight kickoff. Uh, the headline in the back of the, the sun here for example is all hands on deck Arsenal fear being priced out of a deal for £100 million rated Declan Rice signing the West Ham captain is their top priority this summer and the Gunners I feel like convinced. that's been the headline about Declan Rice and Arsenal for the last like year <laughs> It's one of those sagas that's just going to keep going on. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Arsenal fans, Kathleen, will be fairly happy with Declan Rice. He's been playing brilliantly recently. Yeah. Well, the last couple of games he's been good. No, but definitely. So long as he's not like a ridiculous price tag, that would be my one fear that we would take him in and maybe just wouldn't fit into the squad mm. in the right way. But uh, yeah, definitely one of the one of the signings that I'd be happier to see come into the club. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one. Of course, we'll look back on the, the West Ham match uh, tomorrow morning show. Myself and Adrian will be with you for tomorrow morning's OTPM. Uh, but we're continuing with Thursday morning's OTPM. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. Uh, Kathleen, thanks a million for hopping in this morning. Thanks, thanks to her mother. She's actually changed my life and I've never met her. Like, I mean, I'm just <laughs> You're inspired here, yeah. She, Two nicker for a really nice hop. We yeah. do, we don't like the colour of it. But two quid. We're gonna two go. quid. I know. Burnt, and I went to charity. Burnt orange jumper for two quid. Mm. Not bad. Uh, folks, at 8.30am on this Thursday morning's OTBM, it is time for the Hurling Power Rankings. 
some of these critics, these pundits. I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. I'd like to play the hard man when, when they're on it. It's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team. All you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency, but they just dismiss you like, like you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Willow Callahan, very good morning. Morning lads, how are you getting on? Keeping well, keeping well. Uh, I'm sure this, this power ranking crack gives you sleepless nights as it does Tommy Rooney. Uh, no. Uh, Tommy takes the power rankings far more seriously than I do. In fact, <laughs> I'd say Tommy and Rooney and I talk about the football power rankings more than we probably talk about anything else in our exchanges off air. So um, the, the problem is, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, Shane, I think the power rankings were so solid a month ago that you're going to see a lot of the teams are still in the same positions. Mm. So I think that actually speaks to how good the last round of the power rankings were. But it has been far too long since we've updated the hurling rankings. So uh, delight now that we've had three rounds of games in the senior champion and in the tiered competitions, particularly in the Joe McDonough, where we'll talk about some of the teams at the start of this list, are now getting ready for the final round of group games. I think we've got a lot more evidence to base our power rankings on. But at the same time, James Scale has not spoken to me since I put the draft list in yesterday and he saw where Galway were. He literally has not spoken to me since three o'clock yesterday afternoon. <laughs> See, this is the thing. It causes arguments among friends. Do you know, people can, can fall out. It's one of the things when I'm out, out and about in Monaghan, for example, it's one of the things off the ball fans will say to me the most the power rankings what the hell were X doing in that position because because the whole the, the system of you know um, the hurling and football calendar is so it's so much of an anachronism now as we'll talk about the power rankings actually have more weight cause, because it's mm. the only Tommy and Will are the only people actually giving this a go we don't have like actual rankings in the profe- in the setup itself True. so it matters it actually does matter and it's subjective yeah, it's fair, and, and that's pro- that's why Will puts puts the work in. I suppose that's a good point. Like that, we don't get seedings in hurling or Gaelic football. I suppose there's no need for them. But this is the seeding that, like, this is the only real seeding. Am I wrong, Will? Uh, well, obviously, the seedings themselves, I'd the say, the league makes it a little bit easier. And that's always been the contention I think some supporters have had, where if somebody has a particularly good league campaign, why are we behind a team who perhaps Tommy, or in this case me in the hurling, has weighted previous achievements by teams or maybe a certain amount of feel about where a team is by comparison to where they are? Otherwise, we would have no power ranking. So we would just turn around and say, here are the league tables, have a look at them. That's the way the teams are ranked. In the hurling, obviously, we've got the two round robin series back this season. Uh, so in a way that kind of produces a natural order of things at this stage but as we're going to see not all competitions are equal and I think what we've seen in the Munster Championship so far could potentially be more of a pointer as to where the All-Ireland Series is going to go once the provincials are over and I think it's clear at this stage that the standard in Munster has been higher than what we've seen in Leinster mm. so far um, but also taking into account that it's actually very hard to tell who's going to come out of the Munster Championship and there are teams who currently sit inside the top five and at least one of them will not be playing beyond the provincial series. So you've got to bear that in mind as well. Well, I, I don't know how we want to do this, Will, but will I run through 18 to 11, and we'll come back to 18 because that's a, a new entry. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Meave at 18, a new entry. We have Down at 17, remaining the same. Kildare at 16, who are down. Uh, Kerry stay at 15. Carlo are up to 14. Leash down to 13. Offaly uh, up to 12. And West Meave. Uh, stay firm at 11 so uh, from my perspective here Will an, an interesting shout bringing in Meath here at 18 
Yeah, so Mead, I've had a very good start in the Christie Ring Championship. There's uh, still a few twists and turns potentially uh, before the final on that one, but Mead also won Division 2B of the league, so they have shown uh, good form throughout. Derry, I think by their own admission, have had a bit of a disappointing campaign. Uh, they will still hope to try and win the Christie Ring Championship, but Mead have shown that bit more, and so therefore, since we spoke about a month ago in the last power rankings, I think it's only fair to put Mead now inside the top 18. Uh, they'll be getting ready to go up to Division 2A of the National Hurling League for next year. Um, down sitting in 17 know that they have to beat Kildare who are the big fallers on the second page of the power rankings um, Kildare are ahead on scoring difference into the last round of the Joe McDonough this weekend neither team wants to be scrapping for their lives in the second flight but for Kildare particularly lads this is the big disappointment they were Ahead, 12 minutes into the Division 2A final, we were talking about Kiltaire potentially going uh, to Division 1 of the National Hurling League, and they've just had a summer to forget so far. Mm. They've lost all of their games in the Joe McDonough. Uh, very low scoring totals in some of those matches, including just the 16 points against Leash in the weekend just gone by. But I think Leash's focus was on that game against Down and ensuring that they stay in the Joe McDonough. So it could be a case if they came remarkably close to going up into a significant step in their development uh, by qualifying for Division 1 missed out on that against Offaly and since then there's been a run of games pretty much week after week and Kildare have hit a bit of a rut so huge game coming up for them uh, this Saturday evening against Down um, Kerry are in 15 Kerry are in a sticky wicket to try and qualify for the Joe McDonough final um, because Carlo who've jumped ahead of them with their good form in the Joe McDonough including their draws against Kerry and against Leash are in pole position to join Offaly in the Joe McDonough Cup final Offaly have no real need for a result because they're already qualified for the Joe McDonough Cup final ahead of the final round of games this weekend so if Carlo win they'll be assured of a place in the final which would be a disappointment both for Kerry who've been the unlucky losers many times in recent years in the second grade against Antrim and against Westmead uh, but it's Carlo who are favourites to qualify this weekend awfully up to 12th place on the back of winning Division 2A of the league unbeaten across league and championships so far this season under 20s into a Leinster final which is an effective yeah. All-Ireland semi-final next Wednesday evening against Wexford as well so things definitely on an upward trajectory for Offaly who are just outside the Lee McCarthy counties right now Westmead have endured a really difficult start to the campaign. Their captain, Killian Doyle, picking up a quad injury just before the campaign started uh, was far from helpful. They've been conceding big totals. Uh, particularly, they took a scutching and scored, uh, conceded six goals against Galway in the weekend just gone by. After the break, they've got Antrim and they've got Wexford. They'll be hoping that they can pick up some kind of result there because with Antrim already on one point, it feels like that last round of games coming up on the first weekend of June is going to determine whether Westmead are going back to the John McDonough after a couple of years or whether they can stay in the Leinster Championship again but morale on the floor at the moment and quite a few injuries that they've picked up it's a big task to see them actually stay in Leinster from here Where are you with Antrim as well because like they've been so competitive obviously probably should have beaten Dublin and um, they're kind of I don't know I guess they're edging very close to being like almost proper competitive maybe Will or is that kind of um, maybe a bit too much to say? Well, I think last week was the first week, Johnny, where a game really ran away from them, mm. the game in Corrigan Park against Kilkenny. And obviously that's going to catch quite a lot of attention. Now, Antrim themselves, like they put over, what, 23 scores and hitting three goals during the game. Like if you score 320 against Kilkenny, you'd probably expect to win some of those games. But Kilkenny were in huge scoring form in the weekend just gone by. And both Galway and Kilkenny are winning very non-competitive games, which perhaps maybe stresses uh, the difference between the top four in Leinster and the two others who are 
were within the group. But that's no new news, really. Up until then, you kind of had to credit Antrim for even in the games that they lost during the National League, such as Dublin away, uh, Waterford, where they gave Waterford a decent enough rattle and you know, beat Leash to ensure that they were staying up. Antrim were having a good year up until that point. And as you say, they probably should have beaten Dublin. They were in a winning position in that game up until 67 minutes gone. Dublin get themselves in front and Antrim still get back and get themselves a draw. Um, they lost then the game against Wexford. They obviously have a difficult enough finish coming up because they've got Galway, who are going to be ruthless because of the scoring different situation following their draw against Kilkenny. I think Antrim are making progress and the fact that they've come up from the Joe McDonough, they should at this point stay in the Leinster Championship for next year. I would fancy Antrim to beat Westmead in the last round of games even if they require a result at that point. Even a draw should do them with the way that the results have been going so far. So I think for Antrim to be staying in Division 1 of the Hurling League for next season and to be staying in the Leinster Championship would represent progress for Darren Gleeson's side. I'm not sure if they're how they, how close they are to maybe getting past Dublin and Wexford who are their immediate targets beyond that but the gap isn't that big between Antrim and those two I think they definitely uh, feel like they're a lot closer than Westmead are right now A puppy blood of their misery they'll have seen on screen 12-7 to 7. so uh, as you mentioned Will Offley up uh, to 12th that was after their uh, big win over Kerry as you said in, uh, in Tullamore the last day out Westmead at 11 remain the same Antrim at 10 we've just spoken about remain at the same as do Wexford at 9 Dublin are 8 and Waterford are at seven, and uh, here's where it gets very interesting. Here's the top six. So it's six. The contention, Shane. This is on. well. This is very Sorry. contentious. What? Sorry, Johnny Ward here beside six? me. <laughs> Galway down two to sixth. Tipperary remain the same at fifth. We have Cork down a place to fourth. Clare make a massive jump from sixth to third. Will and Kilkenny are in second. Limerick are in first. No changes there. This is a joke. I mean, I can see why Scale wasn't talking to him. Galway sixth. What would you? I mean, this is this is an absolute nonsense. Tell him what you really think, Johnny. Yeah, and he's on. a Leinster man. Come on, son. <laughs> yeah, but here's here's the thing, right? So Galway, be concerned not. I think um, it's actually very close between two and six, and there was a temptation here with Clare doing the jump, and really that's where there's been a bit of a trickle down effect with Cork and Galway going down. So it's not been really down to Cork and Galway's performances themselves, but more acknowledging the fact that Clare have landed a glancing blow on the King. It's not a knockout blow just yet uh, with the victory that they had against Limerick, and Clare have still got a few difficult games to ensure that they qualify for the Munster final or to get into the All Ireland series. But that explains the jump. Now I wouldn't take any issue with what Galway have done so far. I think they felt their way throughout the league and then came into the championship and have done what was expected of them so far. They'll be a little bit disappointed that they allowed the second half to run away a little bit from them against Kilkenny. But I still get the feeling that that game had a certain element of shadow boxing at Nolan Park, Mm. where it was almost like, this time around, we're going to have a much more cordial handshake than what happened last season. (laughs) We'll walk off the pitch, see you in the Leinster final in a few weeks' time, and then maybe we'll have a cut at it before the semi-finals. So I think Galway are still a major contender for the All-Ireland series when it comes to the semi-finals. I think they're a team who are still very well match to play against Limerick who are maybe down a few percentages on where they were last year and Galway could still have a big say in what happens with both the Leinster Championship and the Lee McCarthy I think sixth place probably reflects more what we've seen from the Munster teams so far so that's why Tipperary up to fifth place you've Kilkenny second like you've Kilkenny second and Galway who are better than Kilkenny in sixth I mean what is going on now, I think lots of people are going to take contention with this idea of Galway being better than Kilkenny. Like, you have to respect a couple of things about Kilkenny, Johnny, which is that they were in the All-Ireland final within a puck of a ball of Limerick last year, and they also got to a league final where they were far away from a puck of a ball against Limerick. Since then, Kilkenny have done nothing wrong, really. They picked up that draw against Galway, battling down from five points down in the game to get that draw, 
And on top of that, they've been, you know, unbeaten in the rest of the Leinster Championship so far. So I think it would have been unfair to drop them, but I was incredibly tempted uh, to put Clare briefly ahead of them. But I think Clare in third right now is a fair reflection, especially where we're, again, going to get more of an idea of where Clare are at when they play against Waterford this coming weekend. They, Clare, don't forget, lost their first game against Tipperary, conceded some sloppy goals, and we were wondering at that point whether it was going to be difficult for Clare to qualify, but they gave us the perfect response uh, when they beat Limerick. And now, if they were to put Waterford to the sword, you would expect them at that point to be in a qualification position for at that least game the top so three. That game for it. Like, yeah. It's so much going for yeah. it, because, I mean, if the game took place... Like two weeks ago, the, the the betting would probably have been close between them. Now it's like Clare are just expected to win comfortably when that might may not be the case. Mm. My only contention. Yeah, sorry, the thing as well is lads that you know Waterford have been technically played back into it now by the mm. fact that we had the draw between Cork and Tipperary smashing mm. game last Saturday at Porky Cueve. But even when you thought that Waterford were going to be entirely out of it after their first two defeats, now if they can win their last two and get themselves to four points, maybe they can pull off what would be considered a Cork from last year, where Cork had a miserable start in the Munster Championship and still got into the All Ireland series. I still think it's a big ask because I think Waterford were incredibly disappointing on the back of played very, very well against Limerick in the first game for the best part. But then you kind of reanalyze it and you say, well, hold on, Waterford played a big chunk of that game with a man extra. And with all of the intensity of effort that they put in, mm. maybe they left that behind them against Limerick on the first day. You still have to go to Semple Stadium for their effective home games uh, for the rest of this championship. I think that's still been a big, a big disadvantage for Waterford in it. Um, but Waterford just have to kind of show a response now in their last two matches is if they're uh, to have a chance to qualify well if Clare win they'll be in a very very strong position but it's great to have Munster feel as wide open as it is oh, because I think amazing. for most of us who were filling it out at the start lads kind of went Limerick plus two others and then based on the form that we saw earlier in the year you're thinking it's going to be maybe Tip plus Clare or Cork but right now it's incredibly difficult to call who's actually going to be uh, even the top three I'm not saying that Limerick won't qualify but and the fact that Limerick have got their rivals Tipperary to come in the next game just sets it up beautifully for two weekends time and like it's fantastic to see there's been crowds in excess of 30,000 at games in the Munster Championship and I saw John Fogarty from the Examiner had up earlier this week that at this stage there's only terrace tickets left for the game between Tip and Limerick and I believe that the games coming up on the 28th are already down to terrace tickets as well so there's going to be bumper attendances over the next three or four games in the Munster Championship like it's remarkable to think that in the second week of May stand tickets are already sold out mm. for matches on the last week of the month so it just goes to show the hunger that's there to go and watch these Munster Championship matches because it matters yeah. like in Limerick who are yeah. like the shortest uh prize favourites for to win all Ireland before the start that I can ever remember could be out like quite soon which is completely mad it's insane the jeopardy begins well uh, it's it, I know it's a lot of pressure fair play um, you'll be on the Christmas card lists in Clare you'll, you'll be, get, you'll be getting like social crude, media mentions from Galway though you see a crude A4 like printout <laughs> of the screen grab and the Galway dress oh yeah like, 100%. You know, for several games Just for Will's five face. games actually yeah okay. well fair play <laughs> this happened last year lads as well people felt that Galway were too far down the rankings during it and I said at the time I qualified that by saying I I think Galway are going to be All-Ireland semi-finals, which is exactly what happened. I think Galway will again be in the All-Ireland semi-finals. I think they're going to get to the uh, Leinster final and they'll navigate their way into the last four. Whether they can potentially beat a team who come out as Munster champions on the other side, that's the big question yeah. for Galway. But deeper panel, they're averaging 12, 13 scores a game. It's not a reliance on two or three players, as maybe would have been the case in previous years. So I'm actually quite hopeful about Galway later in the year. And again, I hope before anyone clips me or says, hey, this guy hates Galway. This is about respecting what Tip Cork Clare have done so far. Yep, fair enough. Will, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. All right, take it easy, lads. And that was your power rankings.
I absolutely adore them lads. I have unbelievable time for them, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. 8.46am on this Thursday morning's OTBM. Delighted to welcome back John Duggan. John, how are things? Good, Shane and John, yourselves? Absolutely flying it, flying it. What's happened in the world of sport this morning? Well, uh, you have Inter Milan, uh, one foot in the Champions League final in Istanbul, um, but the standard of the game was far inferior to what we saw on mm. Tuesday between Real Madrid and Manchester City. So if Real or City get through and don't uh, win the Champions League, they'll be very disappointed. Um, but I think Inter are probably through. I think AC Milan were poor defensively yesterday. And Inter now have the crowd for the second game. AC Milan had the fans as uh, Inter were the designated away team. But now we have um, enters the home team next Tuesday. And Premier League goal boys, uh, the cabaret act of mm-hmm. uh, Edin Dzeko and Henrik Mkhitaryan scoring. So it just kind of shows where Italian football is at. They've done well to get to the semi-finals, but I do think the final is at the Etihad next Wednesday. Where are you on um, the other game then? Because I, we think City, I think City will get through. I do as well. Uh, they yeah. haven't lost at home in the Champions yeah, League since very, 2018. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they beat Bayern 3-0 there. They beat Leipzig 7-0. And like their away form is patchy in the Champions League at best this year for whatever reason. Well, I felt the first time in a long time I've seen City dominated in a game as they were for the first 20 minutes of the second half against Real Madrid, mm. but they didn't concede. And once they equalised, they were able to close out the game. It was hot and it was a brilliant match. Like yeah. it was football it was at its game. best. Yeah, it, was it was like a great game. It was quality, you know. So like Real are the establishment. They know how to win these things. Um, but I just do feel that it is in, in City's hands now with a fit squad. Like Phil Foden even can't get a look in, you know? Mm. Mad. Like. Uh, that is mad. Um, but it just shows, uh, you know, how well oiled they are in terms of fitness and um, slickness. And De Bruyne is crucial. I, like, I think he's been their, their key player. Um, I know Haaland's got all the goals, but I think De Bruyne has been key. Mm. He was the match winner in the Arsenal game. And he got the goal last night or the other night on Tuesday. And I think he could be the man now to, to lead City to the Champions League final. I just feel City of maturity that they haven't had. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a while. It took Man United a while in the 90s to get there. And Pep didn't make any... Zay- I mean, once I saw the team, and oh, well, this is a mature team, an experienced team. Gundogan, De Bruyne in there, Rodri. And I feel that there's a maturity and more calmness about City than, they, than in recent years. And to be fair to Grealish, he's really stepped up. I thought Hallam was disappointing. I, I was vilified in a WhatsApp group where I said, I think Evan Ferguson is a better player outside the box than Haaland. Oh, I think he's better. Outside the box, he's better at Lincoln <laughs> uh, play. Johnny, he's like, better. Johnny, Haaland outside the box, he Johnny, gives the ball uh, away John, too much. Johnny, Johnny, this is like Venus and Mars stuff. Like Evan Ferguson's 18 years of age. Outside the box. Ask me in five hold years up, time. Hold up, play. Wait, what do you mean, what play, do you mean by outside the box? Hold up, play, Lincoln up, play. Haaland, in general, he gives the ball away too much. His Lincoln play is not good enough. Haaland Everything else is amazing. Goals I'm season. talking about, what's he done outside the box? He doesn't need to. But, he's, but he's not actually amazingly good at linking up play. He gives the ball away quite a bit when he's like t- when somebody's tightening him. Harden looks for a layoff. He gives the ball. Like I thought he was disappointing the other night. He'd probably rip it up in the second leg. Like, he was well marshaled. He was outside the box. He's not actually amazing. He's not that good outside the box. He's amazing at everything else. Uh, Evan Ferguson is nowhere near going up against Real Madrid and Antonio Rudiger in a Champions League. Holding ball. up the ball. No, but like playing in the game. Do you mean he's just, playing for Brighton? Just that specific one skill, holding up the ball. You holding mean? up the ball and linking up play. Your your touch when you're when you're when you're basically you're back to goal. I just think we're putting too much pressure on Evan Ferguson. I, I'm not like I'm not saying he's better than Holland as a player. I think outside the box he's actually becoming a more complete player. Haaland gives the ball away too much outside the box for me. I just think we need to come back to Evan Ferguson in five years' time mm. because I just think there's too much talk. There's too much pressure. Sorry, you look at him at the weekend and you're like, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. he was on for, what, half an hour? But I just think we just need to let it happen with Evan mm. Ferguson. 
because I, I just feel we're, we're building this guy up to be Lionel Messi, well, well, uh, the Lionel Messi of Irish ha- football. And it hasn't happened yet. It's happening, but it hasn't happened it's yet. It's not even Alicuzzi. every person. Haaland, outside the box in games like this, at times to me, is disappointing. He's not able to link up play as well as he maybe should be or uh, everything else he's amazing I've never seen Anton like him but I, I thought he was disappointed I, I will say I will say right we, we get given out to quite often for hyping up Evan Ferguson we had the roadshow last week um, the Just Eat Roadshow with John O'Shea Wes Brian Graham Sue and I'm down at it and jo- Joe or Nathan asked um, John O'Shea who's on the current Irish coach and set up a course under Stephen Kenny his thoughts on, on Evan Ferguson I was thinking oh, he's going to obviously play it down and manage expectations John O'Shea just goes he's going to challenge Robbie Keane's goal scoring record I hope so. I, the whole room is a, a different type of player. Like you're talking about, Haaland's a predator. He's a goal scorer. He finishes right. Evan Ferguson's more. Uh, he's more of a, a ten and a nine, a Harry Kane type. I would say Ferguson. But uh, but he's 18 years of age. Yeah. I just think we. I just think people need to chill about Evan Ferguson. What did you make of Haaland the other night? Um, marshalled like he Marshall, was in the Spurs yeah. game uh, at White Hart Lane or the new White Hart Lane earlier this season, and uh, it's not his type of game. Mm. I think he'll get more space in the game at the Eddie Hat. I think City were in a containment situation. Yeah. Uh, and I thought uh, Real Madrid, uh, like they had 26% possession in the first half. They, played, the first half, yeah. they played defensively. Yeah. I just think... I, They're so well coached. I, I, I hope more than anybody else, and just as much as you guys, Evan Ferguson becomes an absolute superstar. But I just think we all just need to chill about it and let him be, him, be himself and do his thing. Johnny, you're getting, you're getting a few mentions in the comments. For the for the Ev- I, I've no Ev- issue saying this no, because I, I watch. I, I think Haaland outside the box is is actually quite frustrating at times. I think My, he gives the ball away too much. Michael makes the point in YouTube. It doesn't matter as he is a goal scorer. Haaland. Mm. It is what he does in the in the box that is integral to that position. But also, ha- Haaland's movement is is, is incredible. He, it's it's yeah. a different game when you when they're playing conservative against him. It's hard for him because his pace is off the chart. I, I just think Haaland is a pure nine. Mm. He's not a ten yeah. and a nine. He's not nine and a half. Pure nine, and that's been. What Guardiola has been missing, and that, well, that's why they bought him because they didn't have one. I don't think though on the second leg. I think Real will play very similarly in that sense. They're, they're, they're not going to give him any space. You can't. He's just too quick and he's too good. One thing I will, and I'm going to just defend you slightly here, Johnny. Um, do you not think, John, that Ferguson could handle a Champions League performance Absolutely. against Rudiger? Absolutely, he could. I, I, well, I just think it's a different environment. I think in the France game now, maybe was was there, was he fully fit? I just in the, in the France game, he was he was on his own up there mm. up front. Mm. Uh, and but Ferguson's playing for Brighton. Throw Ferguson into that Man City team. He would do. He would do all right. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I just, players, I, players I, just think, I just think it's too soon. I just think it's too soon to be making these kind of comparisons. Well, if you had the Bruyne providing for him. Uh, you're going to score more goals. I think Ferguson's like link-up play outside the box is underrated. A year ago, nobody was talking really about Ferguson in this regard. His, like, his link-up play, watch his link-up play when he's when when there are players tied to him outside the box. Watch, watch his general... But he's um, a very intelligent footballer. Yeah, very intelligent, his and he's really good at link-up play. I, I think that's that, the one flaw I'd have in Haaland's game is generally... How many goals do you get outside the box in general? And uh, how does he link up play outside the box? Which well, that was the well, same he, as Van Nistelrooy. Well, mm. well, he more runs into yeah. positions to finish things. And what he does, he's the best player I've ever seen. But I think in general, linking up play outside the box, he's actually not. He's, he's not amazing. Well, I don't think that is his job. I yeah. don't think that's what his uh, strengths are, his attributes are. Um, I just feel that we're, we're just... We're, we're getting carried away, I think, with the Evan Ferguson thing. Making him this absolute superstar. And I know it was at a lesser level, but we were doing this about Troy Parrish two to three years ago. 
I think not really. Yeah. No, there was so much hype about. No, Trent there Harris. was. It's not comparable because if you ask people in the game, Evan Ferguson, they're like, "Yeah, he could be." I, I, I don't want to hype him at all. I just think sometimes you look at Haaland's performances in games like that where defenders are really good and tight against him. I think his his link up play is a bit disappointing at yeah. times. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'd say that all day, every day. Everything else is amazing. Well, keep the comments coming in. Let us know what you think on that Evan Ferguson comparison. Um, and comparison to Haaland outside the box I just, I just wish we'd get away from Evan Ferguson hot takes and let Evan Ferguson do his thing we're on uh, Sunday yeah, Saturday rather JD and I uh, I, think he can, I think Ferguson can handle it that's, what, that's all I'll say I think he can because he's not, he's not sitting here watching OTPM this morning Evan do you know I hope not so he, he's not reading the newspaper so the hype, the hype we probably see we, way more of the hype than Evan's going to see he, he's got a good family around him I don't think the hype is actually going to affect him too much like, it's a big second leg for Haaland, I think, because um, they really should get the job done. They're a better team than they're a better team than Real. Yeah. They've they, they've they, they've no excuses. You've said it all year, JD. This is their year. But part of me hopes that the game's in the melting pot with ten minutes to go because I still think mentally I'm just not sure if they have a little bit of a Champions League hoodoo because they should have won it by now and they haven't. Well, they're a team that plays an autopilot. Mm. So when you when you go off autopilot, uh, they panic. Mm. And as I said, for the first twenty minutes of the second half, they were under pressure. They were like they could have conceded again, again, and they could have been three 0 by the end of it. Mm. Uh, yeah. But they got a wonder goal from De Bruyne. Um, I just feel that everybody's delivering. Grealish, Mares, like Mares was was in the game in the cup semi final, scored a hat trick. Mm. Came in and scored a hat trick. Um, Roger's playing well. I think like Stones had a really good season. I just think the whole team. Ederson played well the other night. I think the whole of the City team. I think Guardiola is just a bit calmer, and I think Haaland has actually helped that because he's been a focal point and he can't be messing around. And like, how mad is it to think about that Guardiola in the Champions League final a couple of years ago didn't play defensive midfielder? Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. I just think the madness of like the Leon games, the Spurs games, um, is gone, and they should be able to finish it. But if they don't, it's a failure. John, since we last had you on, Donald Cusack was on the Sunday game, giving his views on GA Go and on RTE and on the game of Hurling's lack of visibility as a result. And we've, of course, had conversations on the show uh, so far this week. Declan McBennett was on with Katrina Perry, um, giving his two cents worth. Um, what's your take on all this? Well, I think, lads, what do we want the GA to be? And where is the line? So the GA is a voluntary organisation. It's an amateur sport. The players don't get paid. It's community-based. We're relying on volunteers to coach kids, to wash jerseys, to um, give up their time in their week, which is uh, everybody's got a busy week. And where is the line on that in terms of making revenue to drive money back into the association, to build the clubhouses that are the envy of soccer in this country? Uh, to build um, the infrastructure where we have coaches for young boys, young girls. So it's where the line is, I think, is the question. And I think that um, there's been mistakes have been made. I think the the biggest thing that people need to realise um, is that the championship is the show. The championship is the big kahuna. It's it's what everybody. I, I think the most important thing in, in in any sport trying to get the hearts and minds. It's not just the purists. It's not just the people that are invested every week. It's the whole of the country. So that's what the Republic of Ireland team was always brilliant at. It was always been the number one thing for me. But the GA with the championship has always been able to get the hearts and minds of the public at where you'd have a million people watch the All-Irelands, where you'd have uh, the gate receipts like you're seeing in the Munster Championship. And that's what it is for me. And if you're hiding the show behind a paywall where the Munster, like the Munster Hurting Championship is the only thing at the moment that has real jeopardy on it, as Will was talking about there. You've got 99 football games this season of the championship, including the Tottenham Cup. I was going through last year, you had 34 games in the Hurling Championship. And all this has happened between April and July. Or do you don't have the space to show all those games? 
So if you don't have Virgin involved and if you don't have um, maybe the RT News Channel uh, showing games or, um, or, or whatever service, then you're going to have a situation where you have the GA Go. Uh, I think the GA Go is almost ahead of its time. Um, it's the kind of thing with streaming becoming more and more prevalent in 10 to 20 years' time. You're going to have more people casting and streaming these things. Um, but it does rub a little bit against the ethos of what the GA is supposed to be about as an amateur voluntary body. And where is the line on that? I think the line is very good when you're talking about the diaspora for Diego, which has been in existence since 2014. Mm. And when you're talking about games like New York against Leitrim, which we all wanted to see late at night, it was a great option. Or games on the shoulder, I would say. But the main sport at the moment with Jeopardy on it and with games that really need people's attention is the Munster Hurling Championship. The provincial championship of football is defunct. Um, you've got these uh, Ryan Robin situations in the All-Ireland series. We've got 16 teams into 12. So it's not really at a jeopardy point of view for the football championship, apart from a few teams being relegated to the Talton Cup until the All-Ireland quarterfinal stage. Whereas in Munster now, you've got five competitive counties reduced to three. And that's what people want to be watching. I think that's what's kind of got people's backs up. The selection of the games and then the argument, whether it's true or not, that there was a cynical move to put these behind a paywall. Um, to get subscribers into Diego. I think Diego should be a supplementary thing. It shouldn't be almost competing. At least with Sky, was a rival broadcaster. And a lot of people would have Sky and they could flick around and get Sky. With this, you actually have to make a decision to go and get it. I think the season pass is very good value. But if you're looking to get an individual game as 12 euro, that is quite expensive. And then you've got to go through the whole rigmarole <sighs> of putting it's, it up. It's not, uh, JD. The 12 euro to watch a champion. Like, I, I was late for Football Saturday here one day because I paid 10 euro to watch my sister playing a game in the Connacht Championship at intermediate level or junior level. And I was delighted to be able to watch it for 10 quid because somebody streamed it like people are so averse to paying for anything now they won't buy a newspaper they won't subscribe to newspaper online they want everything for free 10, 12 euro to watch a championship game sorry like what is wrong with that like it's it's a one off Rel- relatively off, speaking though to the Rel- season pass it's Rel- quite expensive as in as John two said, euro this, game for the season pass yeah. League of Ireland is like what 7 euro per game and that's obviously a much lesser level it's 12 euro you, you know if you're not at the game it's not asking that much do you want everything to be on, on TV like I I don't get the argument in GA at all. And if, as you say, the money is going back into it, if it's going back into investing in facilities, um, and it, it, it is, that's, that's good for everyone. Like I just think the whole um, structure of fixtures and competitions is wrong in the GA. Mm. I think it is. I think there should be a chat. What, like, I think they could get rid of all the preseason competitions, get rid of the provincial competitions in football, and run a league championship between March and July, space it out, have all the time where there's more space to put all the matches that people want to see on free to air and then have your shoulder games for a subscription if you want it. But the subscription can't be in, in a kind of a competing situation with free to air. And RT, to be fair to them, did point out they can only show 31 games and 16 of those are mandated uh, to be shown, like provincial finals. But I'd like to see the decision making behind the other 15. But provincial finals are... I'd like uh, to see how they choose. Yeah, what, are, are, are out, out, out of sync. But the Munster Hurling Championship is the jewel in the crown. Until you get to the All-Ireland Series in Hurling, you've had Claire Limerick, Claire Tipperary, uh, Claire Waterford this weekend, and Cork Tipperary, all behind a paywall. That is out of balance. And that's mm. why you have the politicians 
uh, the, the Taoiseach being asked about it and that's why you have the anger out yeah. there and I just think that needs to be reviewed for next uh, season going forward but this is here to stay unless they list these uh, uh, matches as designated events of the government GA Go is going to be here to stay uh, and people are going to have to get used to it but there has to be also a degree of um, I think that RT and the GA got caught by surprise by this week right because I think the technology is possibly not there as w- much as they would like I think the messaging has not been there and there's a bit of well this is the way it's going to be going forward and that once again rubs against what the GA is meant to be about an amateur volunteer organisation yeah. and also just to finish uh, the record revenue is 96 million last year how much of this how much squeeze do you need to put on, put on GA uh, media rights out of this revenue um, we need to probably have more people in the tent than we do now for like these certain like games like Monster Hurling games and a lot of it's back down to the split season and the fact that the whole thing has been squeezed into traffic jam and the show is being affected the show being the championship 100%. It's, conversation. It's, it's not going to go, go away. You mentioned all the hurling matches that have been behind the paywall. There's going to be some massive games in Gaelic football over the next few weeks behind the paywall as well. And then that crowd are going to get fairly right that up. crowd. So it, well, <laughs> the Gaelic football crowd as opposed to hurling crowd. It's, it's just going to continue rumbling on this, you'd imagine, for the rest of the summer. Why do you expect everything for free, though? Not, not necessarily for free. €12 Euro is a lot, for, for I think, for, for a match. Twelve. When, when you compare, it to, the, when you compare it to the season pass, it works out at €2 Euro per game. Do you know, could they charge... I don't know, Fiverr for a match? Buy, buy season pass. Like, I mean, why, why are people but, but, so versed to paying Charging for? a Fiverr would encourage more people to, to potentially buy the match. You know, I don't know it's what the numbers are. Championship game? It's 12 euro. Like, it's, what, two points now. I know, but it's, it's also 12 euro into the match, in person. Mm. So you can't really be, you know, you're getting then charged the same price. The game if you can't I know. pay for it or get somebody to, to stream it for you. I don't, I don't think that the, the charge for watching on, on a stream should be... Anywhere, cl- anywhere close to the charge for going but, into the but, I, but even Johnny but I think your, your people's mentality is switching now from well I'm going to see the Munster Hurling Championship uh, on TV mm. uh, to now well I've got to go and look to pay for the Munster Championship which is now a part of the shareholder is that is RT which I've already paid a licence fee for and I've got to get all this set up and get all this streaming set up and everything it just seems to me a little bit of a, 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 of a friction against what the GA is, is meant to be yeah, and that, 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 that is the, most, the biggest argument is, is this and I'd love to know what people's views are are you cool with this whole GA Go thing or we just have to get with it are we all complaining too much uh, well, I'm interested what the audience thinks because mm. um, this is here to stay now but what is the GA supposed to be and I think that's the bigger question around this whole thing 100% keep your comments in as John says John great stuff as always this, right, this morning thanks a million John Duggan there uh, joining us as per usual on the show at 9.04am on this morning's show time to turn our attention to something uh, else Crohn's and Colitis Ireland has just launched a new symptom checker as part of its Poo Taboo campaign marking World Inflammatory Bowel Disease Day that's on Friday May the 19th check out crohnscolitis.ie forward slash symptom checker or call the Crohn's and Colitis Ireland support line that's on 01531 2983 on Monday, Wednesday or Fridays from half past nine in the morning until half past twelve in the afternoon for further information. Uh, delighted to be joined on the line now by the Irish Rugby International, uh, John Ryan, who is also an ambassador for Crohn's and Colitis Ireland. John, very good morning to you. How are things? Hi, how are you? Very Thank good. You Dion, thanks, guys. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, I, I suppose you might, first of all, give us some, some context uh, as to why you're an ambassador for Crohn's and Colitis Ireland. So you were diagnosed with, and some people mightn't be aware of this, uh, you were diagnosed with ulcerative colitis back in August of 2011. Maybe tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, I, um, I kind of just got my first professional contract um, and I had done my six months before training with Munster and all that. And when I got the contract that pre-season, I actually got diagnosed with um, ulcerative colitis so it was um, a bit of a 
it just started with symptoms and um, I was lucky enough I was one of the few people who get it that actually checked the symptoms out because I was very uh, freaked out about it really because um, like obviously I thought my career was over with this what's going on this is, seems serious I'm ill all the time and can't keep weight on I'm passing blood and all that kind of stuff so I got it checked out and I got it diagnosed early and therefore I got the proper medication for it so I was pretty lucky but um it's just not the case in, in, in a in apparently like forty percent of people with symptoms don't get it don't get um their symptoms checked, uh and it can sometimes get quite quite uh severe. So that's why I suppose I'm an ambassador because it's good to spread the word and there's no stigma that should be attached to having this this uh, disease. It's um although it can be harsh, it's a perfectly you can live a perfectly normal life. So that's why I got behind it to kind of lift that stigma. Just on that, John. Sorry, the the I, I hate the phrase "the devil's in the detail," but in this instance, um, I wasn't aware of this disease at all. The devil actually is in the symptoms, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And when you're having symptoms, it could be nothing. Um, you can like for me, it was passing blood, but um, it could be anything uh, really that that could cause that. But uh, just from the off chance that it might be IBD, you know, Crohn's or colitis, then you you should just really get it checked out. And that's why I think it's a good idea. You know, um, Crohn's Clothes Ireland have set up this uh, symptom checker because uh, other people might, might not be so fast to, to get their um, symptoms checked due to embarrassment. And as I said, it's perfectly normal. There's a lot of people in Ireland living with it. Yeah, the year you were diagnosed, John, as well, you, you had also got your first professional rugby contract. You were balancing uh, final year in, in university as well. So, I mean, that must have been insane. Quite a busy, busy period for you. Yeah, and you know that's the what they say is it's the workload and um, maybe stress that brings it on. But yeah, I had a big year. I did final year of college, and um, I was in on kind of a training contract at Munster, and I was lucky enough to to procure a um, professional contract. So uh, it was a busy year. It didn't um, help that this was added to the list of um, strain on the body. But I was lucky, as I said, I got it diagnosed, I got it under control, and. I was able to progress um, with my development in rugby. Was it difficult for you in terms of, I, I remember um, hearing you speak before, certainly reading comments from you, that when you were first diagnosed, it can be awkward, even something as simple as a friend asking you out for coffee and socialising generally, it, it just, it probably, you, you probably didn't know what way to turn, even for little things like that, that meeting a friend for coffee became a little bit more difficult for you. Yeah, exactly. Do you know, you kind of want to get out and chew the fat with your friends and stuff and, it came to a point where I knew where all the um, the, the bathrooms were in certain uh, establishments. So I'd say, "Oh, we'll go here or whatever." So um, it was kind of like that. It was it was tough, but once you tell your friends, it's, it's you're better off. I always found is telling your friends, and I started going out with my uh, now wife in 2011 as well. So she didn't add any stress, now to be fair. But uh, she um, she was very very good and a big support. It's very. In a practical sense, sir, what do you mean by that? Like, you're actually looking at the toilet facilities in the place you're going to eat. Why so? Why like why, why can it be such a, an imposition on you? Yeah, it's, it's almost a psychological thing for me, but just in case I had a flare-up or, or something happened like that, then I may need to rush to go to the bathroom. But they were the smaller things. So, you know, I was okay going after a while when I got used to the... the um, the actual disease and when I understood it uh, I was I was okay with those kind of things but Munster back uh, then was in Limerick and Cork two separate facilities so mm. 
uh, that was awkward because I had to drive to Limerick. So in that case, I did know where every petrol station had a had a bathroom. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was that was a, a tough logistical uh, one. But look, it is what it is, and I got on with it. And I I was never embarrassed by it really. Well, I was maybe embarrassed because I didn't know about it. But then I got you know once you brush up in your knowledge on it, it you know it's fairly severe. And I feel pretty proud that I managed to to. Uh, to kind of carve a good path in rugby and have a good career and a very normal life uh, for the last uh, 12 years. I, like, this is said a lot, like, but it kind of is a male macho thing as well, that it's not like you, the inclination <coughs> is to kind of bury things like this. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, you're dead right. I think you hit the nail on the head because you can say it's a macho male thing, but then it's... Um, you you don't want to show any weakness, but it's kind of as bad as well. If if you're um, if you're female and you have it, it's tough because you can't have this. This is a, a horrible thing to have. Hope you can't talk about this. But look, I've met plenty of um, girls that have had it, and um, they're you know they wear proudly, and it's uh, it's nothing you should be ashamed of. I wouldn't say like you, you say it proudly, but like it's just you're not ashamed of it, and it's something you have. It's someone else is another ailment, and um, you can carry on normally. Hopefully. You can carry on normally if you've caught it in time. Yeah, I think it's a it's a, it's a brilliant thing that you're you're talking about it as well, John. Because reading the survey, in the research as well, most people are aware of the disease and maybe of the symptoms. But four in ten said they would do nothing initially if they saw blood in the toilet bowl, opting for a wait and see approach. So I think hearing from people like yourself who are ambassadors uh, it's certainly going to raise awareness and uh, people are going to maybe have an idea of what to do a lot of people will be familiar with your with your rugby career of course uh, John over 200 games for Munster 24 Irish caps as well the the 2018 Grand Slam just to name a few you must be um, you must be looking around you're in New Zealand at the moment so there can't be many yeah. players I think who've played Premiership rugby you were with the Wasps earlier in the season URC and Super Rugby in one season that's quite a that's quite an achievement I I if there's someone else, show me. Because I don't think there is. That's, <laughs> the only one of it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's been an absolute mental uh, season. Yeah, obviously, the I didn't, I wasn't uh, wanting to leave Munster, and then I got over that. I went to Wasps. I kind of fully invested in Wasps, and then that fell to to pieces. 167 people losing their job um, overnight. That was tough. And then um, you know, going back to Munster, uh, that was great because it was the the just the ability to get those 200 caps that I craved and, you know, uh, other great moments. You know, I got my 50 European cap in a Monster jersey, which was special. And now I'm down here in Chiefs and luckily the Chiefs are absolutely humming along, winning every game. So I'm, I'm delighted. And another one tomorrow, I hope. Just on the Wasp thing, like I was staggered, John, to read at the weekend that Premiership clubs in general, uh, on average, are, use, are losing four million a year. And you're looking at the London Irish situation. Like, how how precarious is the situation in England at the moment, from your perspective? Well, it's not a very stable, um, stable union at the moment. So I, for whatever reason, I don't know. It's just obviously everyone spoke about Worcester, and Worcester was being spoken about long before before Wasps and uh, Wasps fell two weeks after Worcester did so the warning wasn't really there for from our point of view but I, I couldn't tell you what's going on because uh, you hear London Irish as you said Exeter hemorrhaging players Newcastle and Sale were talking about uh, joining forces there uh, last week I don't think that will ever happen but just the fact that these conversations are happening it's just it's crazy and I don't know what's uh, 
what's causing it, but um, something has to change and it has to be changed from the top down. You can't, it can't happen again what's happened to Worcester Wasps because it's people's livelihoods uh, that are at stake, really. Yeah, crazy stuff to be honest. Um, you've been you've been kept remarkably busy, John, because if if the Chiefs go all the way to the Super Rugby final, which I think is on June twenty fourth, you'll have made it thirty five games in ten months, and then you'll be back for I assume pre season with Munster then again. So it's all go. Yeah, thirty five games in a season would be ideal, um, <laughs> as long as there's a medal around my neck at the end of it. Uh, what a season would have been. But um, yeah, back straight. I mean, like I think um, Munster start preseason in the first week of July, so that's kind of I, I'm going to have to have a conversation there with the lads. See, can they squeeze out a few weeks out of that? Hundred percent. And it's like you're a Cork man, so like getting home and back with the with the family back to Cork, like the wife and three kids as well. So I assume there's an itch to to get back, but also yeah, I'm sure you're enjoying your time in New Zealand at the same time. Yeah, we're loving it um, down here. We're making the best of it anyway. Uh, I came down in the middle of February. My wife, uh, I, my my uh, my youngest was only three weeks old when I left. So I left my poor wife and three kids um, <laughs> at home alone, uh, which was tough. But uh, she came over a month later and we've just been making the best of it, seeing as much of the island as possible. But of course, New Zealand's going into winter, so mm. we're getting a lot of rain here at the moment. Um, I, I'm, I've been assured that the weather's going to be good for our game tomorrow. Um, we're down in Taranaki at the moment, so hopefully it'll be good tomorrow. But yeah, looking forward to getting back. Uh, we're living in Limerick actually, but mm. definitely a few trips down to Cork would be nice, um, down to my family, because I haven't seen them a whole pile the last uh, 12 months. I haven't been down there. They've been up to me and they've come over to me, but uh, I haven't been in Cork much, but definitely uh, looking forward to that another Cork man is a regular with us on uh, on, on OTBAM here at Ronan O'Gara comes on usually once a week uh, on a Friday morning and um, you're in the quite distinct uh, position as well you've been coached by both Raj and Scott Robertson with your time with the Barbarians like, what was that like what type of a a coach is Ronan especially oh, well in fairness as coaches they're excellent and you can tell they're brilliant it's not the environment to find out how good a coach you are <laughs> I don't think um, they, they certainly led from the front on the social activities but um, <laughs> they were brilliant they, they were excellent like um, we had our fun all week and uh, we rocked up on the Sunday so we met on Tuesday I think uh, in total for the week we might have done maybe an hour and a half of work the rest was kind of commercial stuff and a few drinks a few dinners out but uh, it was they, when they were on they were on and the lads would have gone through a wall from that day and the way they spoke as well was excellent and they're obviously men who you'd highly respect in rugby circles so no I loved it because I played a Raj got coached by him so it was great and he's just a good fella and you can see he's having great success uh, overseas as well so that's brilliant I don't know how much you've managed to see of, of La Rochelle or Leinster this season uh, given the time difference etc but how, how do you think the Champions Cup final is going to go? Oh, sorry, I feel bad for Raj. I know he's on your show and all that, but like <laughs> Leinster are a bit of a machine this year. They are like, they're just, you can't bet against them in either like the league or, or Champions Cup. They're, they're looking very strong this year. So I'm just hoping, um, from a, a league point of view, that Munster do a job on them this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, John, brilliant stuff. Thanks really for checking in. And, uh, listen, I hope you get your, your 35 games and your medal around the neck. Appreciate that, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good man, John Ryan there, of course. Uh, Munster, he'll be back with Munster as well, of course, but he's uh, a busy man. In- English Premiership, URC, Super Rugby all in one season. That's, I think he has to be the only person that's done that.
What would your inclination be if you were passing blood? I think that's the point. Like when you listen to people like John, you're obviously going to think more about it. But but I think straight away it's concern. Most people would would be like, ah, I'm sure it's grand. I I'd, I'd be like, if this happens again, yeah, yeah, if it's yeah, a one off, the one off. Like, um, but I do think men are far too inclined to sort of just not go to the doctor and even oh. just do like even do like damn it Donald's and just get your blood check once a year little things like that mm. um, which kind of got me thinking like because I don't necessarily do that but I, I just think that's powerful so from really 100% and like for someone in a role model position that he is like young rugby fans or kids here the likes of him or not necessarily kids grown adults as you say who are afraid to mm. uh, talk about health or go to the doctor or whatever like when you see someone like John speaking so clearly about it and, and that's that's a mad like the, the thought of having to go to the bathroom of a restaurant every time mm. you go in and yeah. having to assess potential routes and, and, and you know coping with with the worst eventualities that's mm. insane stuff brave stuff from I hadn't been aware of like, same as your, your, yourself I know that survey says a lot of people will be familiar with the symptoms and stuff I wasn't no I wasn't you know ulcerative colitis I maybe heard of mm. but I, I had no idea what it entailed um, so to hear John's story is is insane. He, he talked to, even as well. We didn't get a chance to chat to him, but he, I think he was on sachets and suppositories as his original treatment, and then it got worse in 2014, and he moved on to infliximab infusions, which he said worked very well, and then he had only one major flare-up between 2014 and this year. So mm. clearly that mm. calmed it down. So once you diagnose it and once you find out that you have it, you can obviously go on to these tablets and things and, mm. and that, that completely sorted out for you. So as, as John says, his life now is at least back to normal to some degree. Uh, keep your comments coming in on the YouTube channel. There are plenty on uh, Evan Ferguson. Uh, people are people are taking the piss a little bit, Johnny, but... Um, don't doesn't bother me at all. No, no, but they're having their fun. Put Evan Ferguson behind a paywall. Johnny Ward, 2023. These quotes. Uh, that I'm, I'm actually... I, I, just to reiterate, I'm not necessarily bigging up Evan Ferguson. Haaland is not comparable to Evan Ferguson, let's be honest. Yeah, like, Haaland's a... I've never seen anything like Haaland mm. I'm just saying outside the box he's actually if you watch his, he's not he's not actually that good outside the box not that and good. in a game like the the game in Madrid where you have to link up play I, I just thought he'd have, I, I think in, in Europe at times he's been hit and miss this year but he'll probably blitz it in the second leg you, no doubt <laughs> it's um, always the way commentator's curse uh, the back of the sun just a couple of the other stories to bring you this morning um Manchester City will bank almost 300 million pounds in prize money if they clinch the treble uh, seven Good years to hear. Away. Good to hear. They need the money, of course. Um, big United boost for Ratcliffe. The Glazers are finally ready to sell Manchester United with Jim Ratcliffe, the preferred bidder. Ratcliffe and his Ineos petrochemicals giant have been engaged in a drawn-out bidding war with Qatari banker Sheikh Yassim bin Hamad Al Thani for ownership of England's biggest football club. So it's been a five-month process so far. Uh, Katie Hope to box off headquarters Crook Park is still Katie Taylor's dream venue and she refuses to accept defeat the champ will fight Chantel Cameron instead of Amanda Serrano at the 3 Arena on the 20th of May that's actually coming up very shortly nine days time the Taylor-Serrano rematch was due to take place at uh, Croker this year but um, she has not stopped believing that that fight can happen we didn't get talking about this with, with John Duggan but it's quite interesting Larice Hugo Larice's offer from Saudi to treble his pay 36 year old Spurs goalkeeper uh, would get three hundred thousand pounds a week 
if this uh, was to happen. So his contract expires next year. Lloris is understood to be open to a new challenge. After more than a decade in the Premier League, this offer from Saudi Arabia is not his only option, but is by far the most lucrative. Uh, so it gives him a chance to earn at least three times his present salary, which is around 100000 a week. There's just something incredibly powerful about like these petrol states who basically became, become wealthy because they're burning oil and selling oil and is literally destroying the planet oh. and bring us to on the brink to, to on the brink of extinction that they're able to offer uh, footballers this obscene money to go over there and you know essentially satisfy um, Mohammed bin Salman really yeah. and it's we don't deserve anything better than um, we're going to get it's crazy and you see the, the money involved it might sound surprising but when you see the states that are involved there £300,000 a week is nothing to them it's grim it's very very grim uh, 21 minutes past 9 on this Thursday morning's OTB I'm here some highlights coming up for you on the OTB podcast network across today uh, Martin Johnson former England captain was uh, in conversation with Joe really interesting chat Kenny Cunningham of course in great form in the news round last night as well and the hurling pod with Willow Callaghan and the lads you can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the OTB podcast network after the ads we're Building up to the Leinster Senior Football Final at Croke Park this weekend. It's Dublin against Louth, and we have Jer Brennan and Darren Clark back after these. You're listening to OTB AM. 22 minutes past nine on this Thursday morning's OTBM time to turn our attention back to Gaelic Games and we're going to build up to the Leinster Senior Football Final at Croke Park this Sunday Does Darren Clark have footage of the goal in Gorta Keegan though last night? No, Is no. that general neck of the woods? Exactly A no, goal, no. A goal to, to end all games really like. He couldn't possibly have We we're, we have Dublin and Louth guests We've we've Jer Brennan and we have Darren Clark uh, Good morning to you both lads How are things? All good lads Good morning All good Good morning lads Jerry, you were, I was chatting to you yesterday over the, the WhatsApp and uh, Darren played with St. Sylvester's in Dublin, so you've played against each other a few times, in fact. Haven't we you? Have. <laughs> yeah. I was just asking Darren there, is he still going? And he is, in fairness to him. But uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not able to. Plug it on. <laughs> what age are you now, Darren? Yeah, uh, 40 next month, lads. Jesus. So, uh, yeah, trying to get squeeze the last bit of juice out of it, you know. Well, sure, Jesus, we were talking about Luka Modric on the show this morning and LeBron James at 38 still flying. So, I mean, there's there's hope. There's always hope, Darren. There, there's hope. There's hope. Keep, keep going. I heard you, you, you were banging in a few goals last night, Shane. Uh, just banging the one. in a few goals. Just the yeah. one. Just the one. Yeah. It was a last minute winner in, into the top ends, though, so I'll take it. We haven't spoken about that enough on the show this morning, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, we've got to keep bringing it up. Uh, it's just been a few times. Um, lads, really looking forward to this final. I know Dublin will be, will be favourites in many people's book, but. Um, Certainly, Mickey Hart and Louth will will hope to have something to say about that. It's no no foregone conclusion. Uh, Darren, what's the what's the feeling like in Louth? I was driving through Louth on the way back up uh, yesterday evening, and plenty of flags out. I'm sure there's plenty of excitement in the county ahead of this one. Yeah, massive excitement, Jane. In fairness, um, I suppose you look back; it's 13 years since the famous 2010 match, so it's been a long kind of road to get back to to a final, which is great now to see. Obviously. And the build-up and excitement is really good in the county. There, there's, a, there's a kind of a good buzz since Mick and Gavin's come in and they've been on a good road, obviously, coming from Division 4 up to Division 1. And obviously, the lads know that the task at hand, it's, gonna, it's not going to be anyway of the imagination an easy game or whatever. Or, or, or um, You know, it's going to be tough and, and we know what we're up against. But uh, there's great excitement. There's good uh, age profile to the team, and the lads are really looking forward. To it. And as you said, you, you could see the flags and the whole town of Ardy and uh, the county is really getting behind the team, and that. So it's it's great, and it's great excitement, and it's great to finally get back to a Leinster final. It's mad because I look at I was looking at last night. I was trying to find the last Leinster championship meeting between Dublin and Louth, and it was 2019, so not that long ago. But uh, it was Dublin five goals and 21 points, Louth 10 points. Like 
it just speaks volumes, Darren, how far now they've come. That 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 is, there's absolutely no chance of that happening this weekend, and the gap has been um, closed remarkably. Yeah, in all fairness, and and like you look at kind of since Mickey has come in, the first couple of results in the first years, like the had lost obviously to Offaly uh, after extra time in, in Navan in 2020, and then 2021 we obviously lost to Kildare. So uh, to, to go on the run around this year, I suppose it's all been built off the back of strong league performance, like promotion, and maybe when the lads came in that they got a good um, building block by being in Division Four and being able to kind of put together a, a group of players that would be there for the foreseeable future and uh, they've built it nicely they've got promotion all the way through from Division 4 up to Division 2 and possibly unlucky this year not to get promotion to Division 1 so uh, the building blocks have been there and I suppose the Gavin and Mickey had come in and looked at the profile of the players and I was actually involved with the under-20s myself there for a couple of years and there's probably 12 or 13 lads in that panel at the minute and they're all good lads like they're they're, um, they're really uh, in, into it and they're there for the right reasons and the panel has kind of gelled so much over the year as well and two good wins again Westmead and Offaly whereabout we probably didn't play to the expected level you feel you can get there but uh, just to be in with a shot now of a Leinster final and playing Dublin as well is a massive occasion so uh, it's really exciting times in the wee county so we're looking forward to Sunday Ger three words where are Dublin? <laughs> three words where are Dublin? Um, they're You'd be you'd be worried, certainly talking uh, to a couple of former teammates and 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 another Dublin supporters and lads in the club. There is probably a lack of urgency and consistency in how we're playing. Uh, we felt after the Leash game that okay, they've uh, finally switched on. They're being much more direct, being much more ruthless to the Dublin that we had become used to seeing. And then they 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 kind of faltered again. They sat back against Kildare. The energy levels were low. I think up until Jack McCaffrey came in at half time in the Galera game, that kind of gave us a bit of a better platform and he kind of set the example for other players to start taking men on and <clears throat> trying to turn the uh, opposition defence. So so yeah, you'd be you'd be kind of worried as a as a as a Dublin supporter. Um I think Darren mentioned it like, and yourselves, the gap has been significant significantly been closed between twenty nineteen and the game the weekend, and you just have to look to that uh I suppose it was a promotion playoff to go up to Division 1 um, uh, between Loud and Dublin. A draw at half-time and Dublin did push on the second half. So, so you know, that gap has closed. But if Dublin are in the humour and they're switched on, you know, they could they could uh, put on a big score uh, on Sunday. But uh, you have to give a lot of respect and credit to to, to Mickey Hart and the, and the Loud players and the work they've done over the last couple of years. So, um, even physically, from a conditioning point of view, they're able to last with the with the top teams, which which allows them to be in a position to to, to uh, um, fight for for winning and, uh, of games towards the latter stages. And just just on that, in terms of the Dublin coaching staff this year, you have this bizarre situation where Dublin are in Division Two, obviously widely expected to get out of Division Two. They're then into a Leinster Championship in which um, you know they're practically certain to get to the final. In which case. They're into the round robin. So, like, is that part of the mindset where it's like, like a, a horse being trained for Cheltenham? Like, when do they peak here? That would certainly come into the planning. And I think a lot of counties will, will, will be trying to, the top counties will be trying to figure out how the, the, the best peak uh, uh, for this new setup um, in the years to come. So, there'll be a lot of analysis and, and recording and reviewing of physical conditioning and, and everything else. But, you know, there's only, <laughs> for me, there's only, 
so much uh, uh, fitter uh, you can become when you're uh, an elite player. Uh, it is about sharpening the skill sets, the decision making. Um, for me, one of the worrying things for Dublin is is, is the amount of changes that uh, we see Desi uh, making, whether they're our necessity. Uh, coupled with trying to keep fellas fresh, but I think there's a lack of cohesion and, and, and kind of understanding amongst the group, uh, the fourth, fifth team that does come when you get used to playing with one another. And no doubt Desi and the management team do have one eye on the, uh, uh latter stages of the championship. But at the same time, it is hard just to switch it on if you don't find that bit of form and you don't find that bit of rhythm. And that's where Leinster probably has been kind to Dublin over the last 10 years. Uh, where we have been able to to, to uh, rack up a couple of scores, get the confidence up and be in a good position and have a good understanding amongst the group going into the uh, knockout stage of the championship. So uh, that lack of cohesion, the lack of a settled team is something that would worry me. Darren, it's been a, it's been a funny Leinster Championship for Loud so far in that the eight points down at half-time to come back against Westmead and Navin dramatically and what a comeback that was. And then almost throwing it away against Offaly. You're four points up after 62 minutes and then the game goes to extra time. And to be fair to Loud, they really pushed on in extra time. And, and Sam Mullery in particular and that extra period was, was brilliant, I thought. Um, so what, what do you read into that? Like it, I guess you've seen that they can, they can come back from a deficit, but they can also nearly throw away a lead as well. Yeah, no, right, Shane. Like we were commentating on the local radio on the, on the match in uh, Navin and... I suppose coming off the back of such a good league campaign, like you, you beat Kildare, you beat Mead, um, possibly could have beaten Derry and RD, went to the last game against Dublin and coming off the back of a strong league performance, you're kind of looking and potential banana skin going into the Leinster campaign with a bit of expectation on your back. Uh, and in the first half in that game, the lads were very um, flat, I suppose, uh, coming off the back of the league. And at halftime, it didn't look as if there was any way out really at all. They were playing nothing at all. Westmead were on top of their game. But the character the lads showed in the second half was something else. Like they outscored Westmead two six to two points after half time, um, and it was a fantastic win because uh, Westmead had no real answer in the second half. Um, then obviously going into the off the game, uh, you know there was a couple of changes made in the team, and I suppose from a loud perspective, you've kind of enhanced the uh, squad and the size of the squad and, and who's playing. So uh, the lads threw in three. Uh, Kind of new fellas that hadn't played a whole pile of game time this year, and then obviously we were able to extend the squad out and finish the game with an extra time. But again, we were lucky in that game. Like the Offaly, I think it was Keane Farrell had a chance in the last play of the game that possibly could have won the game for Offaly. And I suppose yeah, you need that little bit of luck. I suppose when you're coming from uh, where allowed are coming from, and but the lads showed again great character in the extra time, as you mentioned, Sam Roy. Um, kicked on four or five really good points for a game he, he, he had been for his own standards he'd been quiet um, he was outstanding an extra time here and down he was excellent scored seven points from play like so the lads are um, operating at a, at a lot higher level than we've, we, we, we've been at in the last number of years and there's probably a little bit of maybe calmness with Mickey and Gavin that's been brought into the panel and you can see that in the two results again Westmead and Offaly the they didn't panic. They kept uh, playing to their system, sticking to the game plan, and then seeing the game out in 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 a very good character. And that's that's the thing, Jer, as well. Like the, you know, years ago, if Dublin played this live team, they could nearly, with all due respect, concentrate on themselves, not worry too much about the opposition, and just play their own game. But but now, as as Darren mentions, you've got players like Kieran Downey and Sam Roy who are picking off scores very comfortably, and and all of a sudden, Dublin need to have a plan for some of these loud forwards. 
No, okay, yeah, they, they will have a plan. They, they, they put two man markers on on on, on Downey and Mulroy. Um, sent to Darren off air. I involved with Carlo for a couple of seasons just during COVID, and mm. I got to see Mickey and, and Loud up close. And uh, uh, both players are particularly impressive and uh, extremely comfortable footballers. And they won't be particularly phased uh, by the fact that they're playing in Dublin or again they're playing in Co Park because they'll have that uh, prior experience of the the Division Two League game. Um, from a level point of view, I'm sure they will have looked at how Kildare set up as well uh, the last game, and while not going too far from their own setup, uh, they will have to look at how Kildare did get at Dublin, um, how they slowed the pace down. How they played to their tempo, they took the sting out of any momentum that Dublin were building, and I think that's something that uh, uh, Mickey Hart, as a tactician, and uh, I know James did played college football with him, uh, converges in goal. He, he'd be very cute and have great game intelligence. He, he'll know when to pick up the pace or slow it down, and uh, um, I think that's something that's loud and probably go at to. to just tactically, just to take the sting out of the game, uh, um, be within a fighting chance going into into the second half, and then you're 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 backing that. You know, sometimes it's uncoachable quality that's likes of Downey and 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 Maroi have. They're just national footballers, and they have that skill set there. But now they also have the the conditioning, uh, they have the confidence, and they have the support of their of their management, and they will cause cause Dublin problems. Um, we've probably been a bit caught in the full back line, but. Michael Fitzsimons has uh, been missed out on a couple of games. Uh, I know he's studying for exams, uh, uh, trying to be a doctor. So hopefully he'll feature the weekend. He should settle, settle us down a bit in the in, in the full-back line. But we, we, we have looked vulnerable at times uh, in that full-back uh, part of the pitch. Um, coupled with that, the the, the pressure further out the field uh, has been average uh, at best. Um allowing players to, to get a lot of touches on the ball and whether you're a junior footballer or senior footballer if you give a fella uh, enough time to get a couple of touches in his confidence will grow and uh, uh, he will uh, be able to hurt you uh, going to the direction so there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of areas really that Dublin need to look at their full back line those couple of uh, man-on-man matchups but also how they're going to press the ball further out the pitch I hope we don't sit off and and, uh, and allow the allow just to build up steam and come at us. Uh, briefly, Jerry, I know a lot of your uh, former Dublin teammates have been uh, talking about this on Twitter after Glenn Ryan's comments uh, post Leinster semi final of a Croke Park and the home venue for the Dubs in a, in a provincial semi final. Um, what did you make of of the whole hullabaloo? It seems to be a conversation that comes up quite often. It, it, it's an absolute advantage to be uh, playing your championship matches. In a ground where you have your league games, so like that's uh, that's nobody can debate that whether you're from Dublin or, or otherwise. Um, the dressing room thing, um, as far as I'm aware, is based on the uh, the Irish spelling, um, and that determines what dressing room you go into. So I've been in both dressing rooms in the in the Hogan Stand in my time. Um, so was it Balia or Clear or Clear? You see, there's well, yeah, yeah, that's a great one, and yeah. I. I <laughs> Bolia is the town, like so. All clear is the county. I suppose fair, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a it's a it's a very good one. And then look at some counties. Then it could be on Corkic as well. Uh, of course, it's on Lou as well. So this we're getting yeah, on Lou. So, you know, here now. So. One Lou is ahead of all clear. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Maybe dress room one now on Sunday, lads. But players, and I, I imagine Darren would probably agree with me, every, everyone wants to play in Crow Park uh, as a player. It's it's the, the mecca of Gaelic games, you know, so it's... it's uh, uh, Loud would be probably slightly more advantaged to, to, to be playing in a power collection or something like that mm. uh, for this final but um, it's it's just a wonderful honour and, and experience as, as a gay footballer hurler or ladies player to, to get that opportunity to, to put your boots lace your boots on and, and play in Crow Park but yes Dublin are advantaged uh, um, over the years to, to have been uh, played uh, there so much in the league It's 1.45pm starting Sunday lads Dublin out very briefly uh, who's going to win and by how much Jer starting with yourself I, I think Loud can be within 5 or 6 points Dublin okay. to win Ok yourself Darren yeah, look, we're obviously we're going up with more expectation uh, than anything, Shane. Like, obviously, you're looking for the lads to familiarise themselves with playing the likes of Dublin. It's great to kind of see them in the league competing against them so strongly. And again, you're looking for just the lads to go out and express themselves and play to the best of their ability. And let's see where that takes us. And please, God, it takes us to to, to win, you know. Event, um, event we'll be there and hope anyway. Exactly. Well, we all know what happened the last time Lyles were in the Leinster final. Hopefully, there's no controversy this time. Um, <laughs> but, uh, lads, enjoy the final. Thanks a million for popping on this morning. Yeah, exactly. Great stuff. Darren Clark there, former Louth uh, footballer, and Jer Brennan, of course, former dub, two-time All-Ireland winner with the dubs. Johnny, great stuff Thanks, this morning. Thanks a million for hopping in with us. On tomorrow's show, Adrian and myself will be live with Ronan O'Gara. We'll have Sue Ronan on the 50th anniversary of the Irish women's national team's first ever competitive game. We'll have Alan Quinlan. We'll have more on the Kildare Camogie story. Jason McIntyre's uh, episode of You Had to Be There, which I'm really looking forward to, and plenty more on the show as well. Uh, right now, David Waldstein of the New York Times on the story of Oakland A's controversial move. Uh, Moneyball, great movie as well. You can pick up that story there as well. Have a terrific Thursday. Hi. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.